It's a disaster, nothing else. The UN, the Marines, electromagnetic pulse, nerve gas, nuclear weapons, and even hypno-heliostatic stasis hasn't worked. We have just one tactic left to save the world from these monsters. Troops, we must sing like our lives depend on it, because they do. Only the most unconventional lyrics will succeed. Hey, like a surgeon, cutting for the very first time. Try the rye of the Kaiser! They are special tonight! Yes, yes, they're confused and their rage is subsiding! Keep it up! Tell me why I've been on Shatner's old toupee! They had it on eBay! Crank the volume, ears are bleeding, I still don't know what I'm singing! If you can name the object in that baggie over there, then mister, you're a better man than I. It's living in the fridge! We've almost got it. Just one more. <laughs> oh crap, I'm out of crazy material. I hope this works. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. Small, small world. <laughs> <laughs> I expected to jump into space just to get away. I wish we'd known what did the trick from the beginning. It would have saved a lot of time. Strap on your swords. Ready your spells. You're about to enter the heart of a dungeon filled with computer and console RPGs from way back when, right up through yesteryear. To get you through this maze that's dripping with danger, we've gathered the best men and women from RP Gamer to watch your back. Some of you have never entered this area before. You're in for quite a fight. For others, this return visit can only be described as an RPG backtrack. And here are the party leaders for this expedition, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. Welcome to RPG Backtrack. We are up to number 70. This is the place where we talk about your favorite RPGs. From the days of Atari right up through yesteryear, with more spoilers than you can shake a stick at. I am your host, Phil Willis, and my partner in arms, Mr. Mike Meeky. People call me that, and just today, my grandmother said something that had absolutely nothing to do with my game, but is nonetheless interesting. She told me she hopes I come into a perfect profession, just someone that has nothing to do with marijuana. No. I don't know why my grandmother would say that, except that she thinks marijuana is evil. That's pretty darn precious, I gotta say. And that precious... That's my grandma. That precious voice you hear is the one, the only, Miss Sam Marshmallow! Oh, you flattered me, Phil. Mmm. <laughs> schmores. I want schmores now. Marshmallow, bring me schmores. Nope. Aww. You're no have fun. Some more ingredients in the house, Sam. That's the thing. I don't think I have more in the house. Ooh, that's yeah. That's not gonna work then. So tonight we are talking about a quintet of games having to do with Sakura Wars. Now I thought there was only one because I've only got one on my Wii. Sakura Wars, so long, my love. But Mr. Miki here tells me that there's four others we also have to discuss tonight. There are actually even more, but these are the main series, and I just didn't play the DS one because it's a roguelike, and my roguelike Ooh. tolerance is extremely low. Ooh, wow. Ooh, wow, wow, wow. Ooh. Ooh. And... Sorry, man. I, I, even for this series, I'm not going there. Yeah. 
Yeah, wow. A roguelike, really. Wow, we'll have to talk about that a little bit later. And we're also going to be doing a PC pit stop talking about Borderlands, which is the only way to play it. It's on the PC. We knew it came out for other platforms, but we knew all the smart people playing on the PC. Right, Sam? I'm going to play on... I played it on Xbox. Oh, hush. Get off my show. All right. Where were we? I like my Xbox. You leave my Xbizzle alone. Your red what did it ever do to you? Your, your, your red bizzle? Red ring of death box? Is that what you call it? Does your ex bizzle go out for the shizzle with your nizzle? I think he, she's in the drizzle. Toast McGross, man. I think she said red ring of death box. I'm not sure. I, I have never had a red ring of death, so. We can arrange that for you. Uh, no, please don't. The Witcher 2 just came out, and I really would like to play Ooh, it. Ooh, that's gonna overheat the Red Ring of Death box. It's waiting for the Witcher T to crash. You can hear little little wheels going in and out, trying to process all those high-end graphics that are on the Witcher. No, don't don't say that. If it starts if it starts panting like a marathon runner that was drinking the night before, you probably should turn it off. Just letting you know. Phil, <laughs> what Xboxes have you been around that actually have voices that discharge breath? It's the little fan when it goes, <laughs> Dink! and then that red light comes on, and you know it's had enough. That sounded kind of dirty, truthfully. <laughs> I think this is a dangerous level of anthropomorphization you're giving to the Xbox. I think so too. Let's carry on. <laughs> Why? Because if we give you the chance to further expansion upon this topic is unnecessary. I think our listeners get a very good idea. Put, where you I want to start flame wars on the boards about the Xbox versus the PlayStation. Get the fanboys all riled up. No, see, we've already had to deal with that lately because of stupid things like digital distribution wars, oh noes, or Mass Effect 3's ending, which people, get over it, it's a video game. <laughs> oh boy, can we see the back two years from now, we get to have a long conversation about the ending of Mass Effect. That'll be it's gonna happen, Phil. so freaking, I'll have to have a different opening just for that show. Oh my gosh, okay. So you talk more about the ending of the third game than about all three of the rest of the games put together. That's then that probably going to be the sad part because that's what people have been doing lately. And you know what? That's not fair. The whole series is just wonderful. The ending's not perfect, but it reminds me of stuff that Isaac Asimov used to do. And I kind of look at it and go, okay. Hmm. All right. Enough current games. <laughs> but I like current games. And, and even even ones that are called Fortune Summoners? No, that can go back to where That's a current from. game. I can go back to the Abyss, thank you very much. So so we're going to... Uh, is there anything else we're talking about today, Sam? Was it just Borderlands, or did we have something else on the docket? No, I don't think we had anything else on the docket, truthfully. So I think we're going to talk about Borderlands. Okay. And it'll be fun. And uh, so we're going to so talk about tactical... RPG meets opera meets robots that gets that robots that get transported from one end of the city to the other with a really huge slingshot. In a world where steam powers everything. Yeah. Yes. Well, that and big slingshot powers your watch. How's that? Yeah. And, and you get from point A to point B by slingshots. That's the most awesome part. So we're going to take a little break. We're going to let you listen to some of that most awesome music that we're referring to. And we'll be right back with a very special 
Mike's Import Corner. This week on Mike's Import Corner, which we're starting off the show with, which we only do once in a blue moon, it usually has to do with with the Import Corner taking up the majority of the show, which which may or may not happen this time, but that because the first Soccer War games we're going to talk about are all imports, so you better be rushing up on your Japanese. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the, uh, the first, uh, let's see here, the first one... Oh, great. I just drew a blank. I had it up here. The first one came out on the Saturn back in 96. Wow, the Saturn. And back then, it was still kind of a novelty for console games to have voice acting, so the the considerable amount of it in this game is quite nice. And naturally, since it never came out in English, I kind of got attached to these voice actors, and they stay constant throughout the series. Plus... The same people who voice the characters in the games play them on stage, which you would not see in this country, I'm fairly certain. Or anywhere outside of Japan, most likely. People playing on stage characters that they voiced in a game. Uh Our story takes place in Taisho-era Japan, which means that it's the era of the Emperor... Taisho. Yes, the Taisho Taisho Emperor, who actually in real life lived only until 1926, but in this game's world, apparently he lived a little longer. You are Ichiro Ogami, who starts as an ensign in the Navy and becomes a lieutenant in the second game of the fourth and the ones after that. And he goes to the Imperial Opera Troop, which is a homonym in Japanese that also means Imperial Combat Troop when people say it aloud. That's why you can call it the Teikoku Kagekidan and People think that they're talking about something nice and innocuous when actually they could be talking about a bunch of death maidens who we, who are in gigantic steam-powered robots that smash evil all over the place. Ogami has some character, and he's, he's a pretty forthright guy, but he never voices anything in the game except during the FMVs because that's the dating sim element of it. You're supposed to more or less say his words in your own mind, I think. But the ladies he is put in charge of are Shinguji Sakura, voiced by Chisa Yokoyama, and she's just a pretty young maiden who happens to know how to use a katana very well and whose father died not too long ago in the fight with the evil demons that have been menacing Japan in this world. Then there's Sumire Kanzaki, voiced by Michie Tomizawa, who you would probably remember as the voice of Sailor Mars if you ever bothered to watch Sailor Moon. And yes, I realize I just said that I did that, but it's because I did. And she is an aristocratic woman who eventually becomes more friendly, but is always very prim and proper. 
Then there's Maria Tachibana, who is half Japanese and half Russian and fought in the Russian Revolution, and she wields a mean pistol. There's Iris Chateaubriand, who is voiced by Kumiko Michihara and has an annoyingly high-pitched tint to it a lot of the time, but she's an interesting character. She wound up in Japan because her parents kept imprisoning her due to her amazing psychic powers that just freaked out everyone in the village, almost shades of Frankenstein there, but we don't, we don't get into that too much. There's Koran, who is Chinese but has been raised in uh, Kyoto, I believe it was. She's voiced by Yuriko Fuchizaki. She works on the Kobu, the steam-powered mechs all the time. She's friendly. I, she's always nice to hang around with, and she has a knack for making machines that blow up. And there's Kana, who is voiced by Mayumi Tanaka, and that means this is the same actor who voiced Krillin in Dragon Ball, Koenma in Yu Yu Hakusho, and Luffy on One Piece. So... Go figure, she actually gets to be a woman this time. And she comes from Okinawa and has amazing karate skills to the point where she just smashes things all over the place. And she also has a fierce rivalry with Sumire that does not go well most of the time. The main plot of the game involves an evil fellow named Tenkai and his sinister organization that is trying to revive the shogunate of all things. And you beat them up eventually at the end of the first disc. But like all of the games, this one follows a path of uh, false climax, false dawn, followed by real climax and real dawn. The real climax comes when a fellow named Satan, who you fought early in the game and now has come back with his own flunkies after watching Tenkai get murdered, tries to take over the world, or at least Japan. And... He does this in... He actually pretty much succeeds. The final battle of the game finds all of the girls except the one you are... Ogami has the best relationship with actually dying. And then comes some interesting things that might help explain why Sega did not actually bring this game over. Because Satan's name has been written with kanji for the entire time, but suddenly for the final battle... Not only is he a gigantic winged monstrosity that takes up the entirety of the floor and is actually stuck in it so that he's coming out of the ground, but his name is now written with katakana, which means that, yes, you are fighting the real Satan. And all of the girls who died have just been revived thanks to the divine gift of the archangel Michael. Perhaps this would not have gone over well with certain groups in North America. Just maybe. What do you think, Phil? I tell you what, I want to. I want a chance to fight with Satan. <laughs> Eventually, you will beat Satan. The day will be saved, but the vice commander of the Tekoku Kagekidan, Ayame, she died. She was actually changed into a first a demon and then metamorphosed into the archangel Michael, and she will be replaced by Kaede in the second game. But otherwise, this game, the cast stays the same. For the second game, which came out in 1998 on the Saturn, which of course meant that it was not going to see porting over here. No, Saturn games did not come over in 1998, much to our great chagrin. And Ogami has been out as a lieutenant for an entire year. He comes back. Most of the cast is scattered. But there's a new one in the theater, Sodetta Orihime. She's voiced by Maya Okamoto, and I just love her voice. She has Japanese with an Italian accent. 
you will, you will not hear that often. She initially hates Ogami's guts like she hates all Japanese men, apparently, because, well, there were family problems. Her dad was not able to live with her in Italy, but she eventually has a great reconciliation with her dad as they're tied together in a burning building. And after that, she's a lot more open for some reason. And the other new character is Lenny Milchstrasse, German, and her story is a cruel one. It turns out that the Germans were experimenting on her to create a war machine of some kind, and the villains are able to use this as a means of getting her out there and forcing you to fight with her. Eventually, though, Ogami is able to break through the, the mind control attempts, and she does a lot better from then on. Also, Lenny at first has a bit of mystery around her. Is she, is she male or female? Ogami found like the answer to that pretty easily when he happens to stumble into the pool and Lenny's in a bathing suit, and that clears it up. The villain this time is a fellow named Kyogoku, but there are other villains too, such as the Oni demon, the Oni king, Oni lord, who is actually Sakura's dead father, in dis forced to work for Kyogoku. And that's the false climax of this game when they fight the Oni O the only lord, and beat, seemingly beat him, but no, it's not over yet. Soon enough, Tokyo will be pretty much destroyed, and they take to the skies in their gigantic airship, which of course existed in 1924, and take to his gigantic floating airship, which is tearing up the entirety of the city, and take him down. And the final boss music of this game is quite interesting. It's like a malevolent ragtime number. I can't characterize it any better than that. Hmm. It's different. The second game also introduces Kayama, who you will recognize in later games as the white suit wearing, sometimes serious, but mostly random silliness spouting secret agent who really shouldn't be nearly as successful as he is given how oddly the fellow acts, but he's fun. It also introduces the Rose Division, which is just three guys who, well, one of them looks like a woman, one of them looks like he's wearing Elton John's hairdo from the 70s, and one of them looks incredibly butch, but nevertheless tries to act like a woman, so they're kind of freaky. I don't know, they, they administer aid, and I don't even remember what it was, they, they're just kind of disturbing to me. And the third game, which came out on the Dreamcast in 2001, shifts things to Paris, where a new Paris Kagekidan has been formed, and Ogami, of course, gets to take charge of it. And in this group, you will find Erika Fontaine, who is voiced by Noriko Hidaka. I mostly know her from voicing Akane in Ranma One Half, but she's done a lot of other stuff, too. And she is a remarkably fluttery nun who wields a crossbow. That's, that's not too common. There's Glishin Bloomer, voiced by Saeko Shimazu, who I also remember from as voicing uh, Kodachi in Rama One Half. You can tell I watched that a fair amount. And she's a French aristocrat who wields a, a halberd and eventually comes to accept Ogami, but doesn't deal with him well for a while. There's Lobelia Carlini, voiced by Kikuko Inoue, and I never watched Oh My Goddess, but she voiced Beldandi in that, which just gives you a bit of her range, because this is a woman who you initially recruit after she's been captured by the police after conducting 
numerous thefts throughout Paris by using her psychic powers to more or less break into homes by smashing the door open when necessary. You don't mess with her. And there's Kita Oji Hanabi, voiced by Yoshino Takamori, and I don't remember anything else she's done, who will only join you after she comes through an existential crisis. See her fiancé, Philippe. Philippe, he died a year before, and she's been trying to work up the urge to live. It's, it's not easy anymore. But she eventually, when posed directly with the question, says that she wants to live and manifests her latent powers. And the last one is Kokoliko. Etsuko Kozakura voices her, and she is just adorable. She's Vietnamese. She works in a circus. She has a great rapport with animals, and it's hard to... Uh, to pin down what her appeal is without actually playing the game, but she manages to be an adorable little girl without being irritating. And for anybody who's watched much anime, you know that's a hard combination to pin down. This game, you'll fight a variety of anthropomorphic menaces, up to and including a gigantic squid man named Calber, I think that was his name, who initially beats you to, to a pulp, which is the cue for the members of the, to- of the Tokyo squadron to come in in bits and pieces to help you out. First, Sakura, Sumire, and Iris show up to, of course, exchange rivalries with the ladies in Paris and then to assist with beating up the evil bunny. Yes, there's an evil bunny, and that's the first battle in the game where you have evil rabbits flocking over an outdoor garden before you beat up the evil bunny, Shizo. And then he gets revived by Calbert, and you have to beat him up again. And then in the second phase, Koran, Maria, and Kana come in to actually train the ladies of Paris. And in the third phase, Lenny and Orihime return. Mm, I don't remember exactly what they did except get kidnapped, which is kind of sad. And the once you finally beat Calber, the real villain comes out, something called Saryu, which looks like a sinister midget clown and is claiming to be speaking on the behalf of the spirits that have occupied Paris since times immemorial and now want to take it back from the blight of modern humanity. So that's your real climax. And then there's the fourth game, which came out on the Dreamcast in 2002, just under a year after the third game. No real new characters, and at first it seems just fine. There, There's even a hilarious moment when Ogami needs the help of the Paris Force. He's back in Tokyo for this one. And the... There's a cannon hidden in the Arc de Triomphe, which launched their steam machines off to the final battle in the third game. And he calls on their help in this one. And that cannon fires them off into orbit so that they are shot directly into Tokyo using its velocity. I will I will never forget that moment, seeing gigantic steam mechs being shot through the Earth's atmosphere from Paris to Tokyo. But the villain is... Um, uh, some ancient Japanese guy. I, I really don't remember. You fight him at the end, and he has so little screen time that you just can't pick up anything other than he's evil. And that just sums up the whole fourth game in a nutshell. It's too rushed. There are only three or four chapters, and all of these games come with at least ten of them. And the Paris force interacting with Tokyo should have been far more interesting because there should have been a lot more of it. Instead, there's, it all ends too soon and it's not terrible, but 
you can tell that where the earlier games took a good two and a half years each to develop, this one took only a year, and it shows based on how truncated everything feels. So it's kind of sad. Sniff. Yeah, and... Well, that's kind of off to a depressing start. Maybe the well, I haven't even talked about the combat yet. Let's see. The first two games play pretty much like your standard turn-based grid tactical games when you're not in the uh, movement phases, which we'll talk about more as we get into the fifth game because not much has changed. But the first two, if you've played a grid-based tactical game from that era or from any era, really, you'll know what you're doing. And these games are not about the challenge, so don't go in expecting to have your team destroyed all over the place. It's generally not going to happen unless you're an idiot. And if you're an idiot, not much can help you. The third game is where things got changed up, and this is when a gauge is put for every unit, and using anything takes a point off of that gauge until you're completely out of energy, and then you just stop. So you can move, you can attack, you can guard, anything you want to do. It's not exactly a deep battle system, but it's a lot more involved than was the first two. Hmm. And... Let's see, the first game is very basic with the lip system. You generally get several options when you're talking with the ladies, and you have a time limit to answer them in. That's pretty much it for the first game. The second game introduces the idea that sometimes when you're talking to them, and you wait a little while, the options will change. The third game, because the Dreamcast had a mandatory analog stick, whereas the Saturn only had one if you had the Knights gamepad, allows you to use that for determining the volume of your response in certain cases and adds that to the lip system. And the lip system involves a whole lot of questions or scenarios that you're going to have to respond to with the ladies. Respond right, and they'll like you. Respond wrongly, say, I don't know, by insulting what they wear or saying, that was stupid what you just did. Well, you know what? Ladies don't like that. I'm making a gross generalization here, but I don't think Sam would like it either if I just <laughs> said that what she just did was stupid and she shouldn't do it anymore. Am I correct here? Right. That's right. See, we have an actual lady on the cast who can say that ladies don't like it when you say that sort of stuff to them. And if you do that, then they don't perform very well in battle, and especially if you let them die in battle, well, they don't like that either. Most people don't like it if you let them die, it turns out. The fourth game has one element that it should, probably should have focused on, which is the character of Yoneda, who is the actual manager of the theater in Tokyo. And the fourth game could have been his story as he realizes in... There's one outburst when the theater is on fire and exploding, when he's trying to help everybody get out and everybody's telling him instead to go, get away, we can, we can take care of this, you don't need to put yourself in danger. And he just says, I can't... I can't pilot the Kobu, but I can do this. That gives you a hint to his character that you don't get too much elsewhere. And he retires at the end of the fourth game and leaves Ogami in charge. And he looks out over the three compatriots who he waged that war against the demons with, who are all dead now. One of them was Sakura's father. One of them turned into Satan, but, but was uh, Yamazaki Shinosuke, I think was his name in, originally. And one of them was Ayame. And they're all dead now. And he walks off into the sunset, just alone with the ghosts of his past. 
that could have been a poignant story, but it doesn't get nearly enough focus. And incidentally, Ayame's sister Kaede comes along in the second game to take over her role of sub-commander. They're both voiced by Ai Orasaka, who has a great voice. I love Ai Orasaka's voice. If you've ever heard it, you won't mistake it. So it, and they look similar too. So it's easy to, if you don't know, haven't played the games, to wonder. Okay, so she's got a different hairstyle now. I don't get it. But if you actually play the games, then you'll realize that she does indeed. They do indeed have very different characters. And let's see. I'll think of more things to say about these core games in a little bit. But for now, the first game was remade for PS2 with most of the enhancements of the later games incorporated. I haven't played that, mostly because getting anything, getting imports to play on PS2 is not my favorite task in the world. But it is out there. And the first two games were also put in a straight port to the PSP. No surprise, it was never released in English. The third game was also ported to PS2. And I think that was more or less a straight port, but I, there's not a whole lot of information on it. The fourth game is only on Dreamcast and PC, but mm, again, it's not terrible, but it is by far the least of them. You're going to wonder, where's the rest of it? Because all of the others clock in mm, at full experiences. You're probably 30 hours or so for each of them. This one you can finish in 12 or so. Um, Let's see... Well, I'm trying to remember. Anything about this sound like you want me to explain more about it, Sam? No, you not. know what? No, oh. I think it's pretty straightforward. Um, to be honest, it sounds like Sakura Wars 4 was a bit of a train wreck, though. It's not... See, while you're playing it, it doesn't feel like anything's wrong until you suddenly get the false climax when you're maybe eight hours in and you're going, wait, what? You're proclaiming victory? No. There's no reason to proclaim victory yet. And then when everyone's surprised when the villains resurge at the, at the real climax, you're going, but this is no surprise. I knew this was going to happen because you weren't done. And it feels fine until you go, where's the rest of it? It has 13 endings because you can get all of the girls, but the Paris squad kind of gets shortchanged since most of them don't appear until the last third. Uh, it just sounds like it suffers a lot just because it's rushed. It doesn't sound like it has a lot of the charm of the other games. Um, I don't know. Just yeah, you can tell it, it was sounds rushed. like there's a lot of problems. You can tell it was rushed most clearly in the music. Kohei Tanaka did the score for all these games. And for the first three, they have full, rich scores. Each character has a different theme. They all had different vocal themes, which are pretty much all awesome. The... The Wind Division, Kasumi, Yuri, and Tsubaki, who, they're not really important to the plot, but they're ladies who take care of uh, making sure the trains run on time and whatnot while the girls go out and fight. They have this great big band number vocal tune for the second game. But the fourth game has maybe, maybe three or four pieces of new music, and the rest is all recycled. There's a new opening, which is a combination of the first two games' theme songs, and a new closing, which is the only time you'll hear all 13 of these ladies sing together, but no new vocal themes for anybody, and that's 
really a sign of how rushed it was because in all the other games, as you know from the fifth game, each character has a different vocal theme. Yep. Not here, though. Is there anything else you want to share about the games? Or do you think that's enough context to lead into what we need to discuss? I can say a little bit. I would say, depending on the system you own, I would choose two and three. Those are my tops. And which one is my favorite kind of varies depending on the day. They're both amazing. I had a blast with both of them. The first one I thought was amazing at the time, and then I played the second one, which just improved almost everything. And the first one is still good, and I'm kind of curious about the PS2 remake, but unless you want to play them in order, I wouldn't suggest starting with it. You get introductions to everyone again in the second game because most of them are off doing something else until they rejoin. There is a funny scenario. Sumire in the second game has been kept house, under house arrest by her family, and you have to go rescue her, which involves mo- the ladies of the squad punching out the gigantic security team her father is employing. I just remember one answer to that being, oh, go easy on them from Ogami. And if you say anything else, it, it really aggravates them. It's like it doesn't matter what you say, you're going to be in the doghouse anyways. <laughs> That's always a well, good go, go easy on them is by far the best instead of saying, stop, we don't need to do this. Because they're really fired up at that point. You, you're not going to stop them. No. Um, um, I was and, curious, though. Um, there's something I did want to ask you because there's all those weird spinoffs too. Do they all connect together with some of those, uh, some of the original four? Um, Because for an example, there was that spinoff I bought you while I was in the UK and I know that's a really weird spinoff. Anyway, yeah, most of the spinoffs I gather are mini-game collections or non-interactive stuff like that. Of course, now I have to remember where I was. I, you were asking me about the spin-off games, right, Sam? Yes, but particularly the one I sent you that I really didn't know what it is when I found it. <laughs> well, I when I researched that collection. one, it, it seemed to be... Yeah, that one is just some character interaction using a couple of new ones, but mostly recycled visuals from the, the third game, as you apparently assume some new character talking with the, with the squad, but there's no real plot. It's just a series of vignettes because uh, the great evil that threatened Paris is over. And yeah, it's just uh, kind of like a side chapter thing. Okay. I wasn't sure what it was when I bought it. I just remember it was incredibly cheap and I was like, Hmm, mm-hmm. you know, Mike can probably figure this out better than I can. And I most also of the remember others seeing are the puzzle that, one. Yeah, I gather that there are a couple of them. Sega did a lot of puzzle games that were more or less rip-offs of... Well, I think everything is a rip-off of Tetris at some level or another. Well, the one I remember finding was for the Game Boy Color. Yeah, you're obviously not going to get any voice acting on the Game Boy, so this was pretty much just a strict puzzle game. Okay, I was wondering. Most of them, in fact, pretty much all of them, I think, dispense with any form of combat whatsoever, so they can't be called RPGs at all. And they don't really have much of a plot either. They're just vignettes. Uh, There was something called uh, Steam Room, similar similar title to that, on Saturn, which was just a collection of uh, voiceovers the cast had done on radio and whatnot in character. 
And then there's that DS game, which gathers the casts of Tokyo, Paris, and New York together for a roguelike. And I don't know. I might theoretically play it if somebody gives it to me, but I'm not going to go spend the 40 bucks it'll take me to find the thing on eBay because my roguelike experience in the past has left me very, very soured on the genre, on that type of game. Don't blame you. I even played a Puyo Puyo game that was a roguelike, and I hated it. I just... I remember. I, I can't stand the roguelike, the rogue conventions. And while we're talking about side stories, there were the OVAs, the Paris squad got two groups of three each, and the Tokyo squad got, I think, a total of ten in two groups, which you can watch, and apparently Sam found more to enjoy about them than I did. I rewatched them after playing the games, and I gotta say, once you know who the characters are, they make a whole lot more sense, because these OVAs sure as hell aren't gonna tell you about anybody. Well, no, that was just it. I mean, I remember I got them as a gift, and I just I remember watching them on VHS, and I just thought it was such a, a really neat idea. Like, and I knew nothing about the series. I didn't know it was um, they were based on games or anything. I just knew, you know, hey, it's a bunch of chicks. They sing, and they pilot robots. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and I also remember watching it in English, so some of the accents that the characters had were absolutely atrocious. Yeah, I've, I've noticed. The Kana and Maria were really bad, and Iris, oh my god, Iris was so terrible. I've noticed that there isn't even any consistency among the dubs, because looking at Wiki, it tells me that some of these characters were voiced by more than one person over all the dub jobs, which just lends no consistency whatsoever. Yeah. And of course, since their voices in Japanese were the people who were playing them on stage and had no chance to get out of character, those really were the most appropriate voices, at least to me. Makes sense. And then there's the movie, which you, again, can watch on its own, but you really won't get much out of it. At least I didn't until I rewatched it after knowing who all the characters are. It's between the third and fourth games, Nogami shows up at the end having returned from Paris, and there's an evil, what is this, Brent Furlong, I think, is the evil American CEO of Douglas McKinsel or some generic American conglomerate, Evil Co. And he's using those demons that threaten Tokyo to make his own sinister machines, and he'll nevertheless be defeated because he lets... Sounds so ridiculous. Yeah. Pretty much. And they even sing at the beginning of the movie a song which was already in the second game. Hmm. Um, again, though, I haven't, I don't want to listen to that in a dub because even though that version of the song is not the equal of the one in the game, I still know all of the vocalists and I don't think a dub job on that song would work very well. Just wouldn't take so well, I'm thinking. Because most dub jobs aren't necessary, aren't simultaneously concerned with acting quality and singing ability. You don't always get that. No, that's true. And most of the general concepts of this world we can talk about with the fifth game, since they're all shared. So I don't need to talk much about the steam power and the ladies singing to get power, because we can discuss that as a group. Absolutely. Are we ready to talk about the fifth game? Hmm, Probably. Are we? Assuming Phil doesn't want to 
shut this down for a little bit so we can make sure it all stays saved instead of going into the blue screen of death. Blue screen of death! Yay! <laughs> Fine. We'll take a tiny little break to back up our work so far. And then we'll be right back to talk about Sakura Wars So Long My Love. Or is it So Long My Podcast? So Long My Recording. So Long My Saved Work. Wow. Possibilities are endless. try to pronounce the Japanese version. I know it's Sakura War so long, my love. This was developed by uh, Sega and uh, for the Wii uh, by Idea Factory. Published uh, by NIS America and uh, let's see, this was... No, it was developed by Sega for the PS2. It was ported to the Wii. Yeah, Idea Factory did the port. Idea Factory did the port. Okay. And this was released in Japan on July 7, 2005 in North America on March 30, 2010 on PlayStation 2 and on April or on March 30. Oh, it's the same day for the Wii. Haha, <laughs> simultaneous yep. the release. <laughs> this is a tactical RPG dating sim experience, single player experience, rated T for terrific. 
I think it's terrific. I think it's cute. I think it's a lot of things. It's it's unusual. It's different. It reminds me of, you know, every once in a blue moon, I'll just go on the Netflix and pick some random Japanese anime, and you know you're just going to get something way out in left field, something that's quirky, something that's different. Sometimes it's something that's a bit uh, a bit raunchy if you're not careful. But um, <laughs> and, and Sakura Wars is, is pretty much just like pulling up one of those random random uh, animes there in Netflix. It's it's really crazy. Um, so, uh, uh, Marshmallow, you like to talk about uh, plots and stories. Do you want to talk about uh, this one? trying to remember the plot it's actually been a while i played it right when it came out well you're basically from what i understand was ogami's nephew in this game am i right james yep that would be shinjiro taiga yeah shinjiro taiga poor soul gets sent to america after kind of being told well there's not much work here for you in japan but we'll send you to deal with our new division the star division so he ends up in america and unfortunately his experience is awful. He ends up, you know, oh goodness, he has this horrible experience of just being, I think it was, what, he was mugged first, and then it was, he uh, had to deal with this masked vigilante <laughs> who happens to be Gemini Sunrise, who is a member of the Star Division, as she rides in on her gallant horse, you know, smacking people with the horse and does all kinds of cowgirl things and you look at her and you go what is wrong with you it's gemini it's gemini's other personality though yes yes well we'll get to that because that was a little <laughs> weird hmm. clearly After everybody all, likes she, a girl she already that's started gonna... her own game which i have not played but which is apparently not very good she doesn't need her own game uh, there i said it <laughs> Sakura Wars 5, Episode 0. That's what they called it. Yes. But, anyways, poor, poor Shinjiro Taiga, you know, he ends up getting a job at the where the troop is for the Star Division, and he gets told pretty much that, hey, you're not as awesome as your uncle. Your uncle. <laughs> um, so, we're stuck with you. We don't really care what you do. So you have to either try to show us that you're worth our time, or else, well, we'll just get rid of you. It's not a big deal. Like, they, they treat him like he's very disposable. As if to say, like, we have high expectations for you because of your blood, but we have very low expectations of you because you're not what we wanted in the first place. <laughs> and unfortunately, that reflects on the female cast of characters because what they were expecting, you know, was the uncle, and what they got was the nephew. Um, and the women in this game are not exactly the most friendly either. Not to start. Um, not to start, especially. Well, Gemini is, but Gemini doesn't does... know any better. <laughs> yeah, she, does, she doesn't know any better, and yeah, unfortunately, I, I know her as uh, Sajita, but you know her as uh, Chiron, Sharon. right? Sharon. Sharon. Yeah. Sharon. So there's Sharon, who is a hotshot Harlem lawyer. Yes, with a she is... bad attitude. <laughs> Think of all the other people you know who not only sing on stage by day, but practice law by night and were in a motorcycle gang in, uh, just a few years ago, and they're still under 30. Yeah, like, she is amazing. <laughs> I don't know how she had time to do all that, but, you know, it's amazing. And then there's Subaru, Prodigy, Master, I believe it's a violinist, right? 
believe that's what she plays. I think it's piano. Piano or violin, I can't remember. Anyways, she's a talent. She's talented at instruments. She's amazing at martial arts. She uh, is a master of Japanese culture and dress. Um, and for the most part, I think I spent most of the game going, "Is she a guy?" Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the one. You're like looking, is that a girl? Is that? A I, I, guy? I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I spent the whole game originally when I played Sakura Wars. I was actually gonna go try to get the Rosita ending because I like I thought Rosita was just adorable, and of course, stupid foul sorceress or Scott Walker. When we were playing, it was like, no, you need to figure out if she's a dude. So, of course, we spent most of the game with popcorn in hand, watching different scenes with Subaru because we were determined to figure out what her actual gender was. And then the game was still very vague about it. <laughs> so, uh, that was my adventure in Sakura Wars. I spent most of that game <laughs> going, Subaru, what are you and why are you so interesting? Yeah. <laughs> I like I said, I love her characterization because she's probably one of the harder characters to get to know. Between her and her and Sharon, I found they're very cold-hearted. They don't really let people in, um, and they're tough cookies to crack. So you really have to work very hard to get them to warm up to you. Um, unlike some of the other female characters, like Gemini, um, Rosita, who is the cutest little Mexican girl ever, with her poncho and her guns. Um, she's a little trigger happy, kind of nuts, but kind of has no parents. So you kind of just want to give her a big hug. And she's yeah, living her in dad, like her dad kind of drowned in front of her. Yeah, and to make matters worse, I mean, she's living on her own, and you know, she's living no less in a construction site, which is pretty bad actually, considering you know she has nowhere to go. So. Warming up to her and seeing some of her scenes is really great because you get to see a really nice brother and sister relationship between her and Shinjiro. Um, like you can tell that he really cares about her and, and she really cares about him. So that's actually one of the really nice relationships that you see and it's not as difficult to initiate. Yeah, um, the, the poignant part with her, I remember, is when uh, Sharon and Subaru and I think Ratchet um, complain about what she did on stage because she just stayed out on stage way too long, and that's I was having a bit too much fun. That was the sign when she did something wrong that she associates with when her dad drowned. So she takes that as the sign that oh, I got to get out of here. Such so as she she's a she's very very hard on herself, which is interesting considering. You see her bubbly personality, and then out of nowhere, she'll just actually start beating herself up. Yeah. Like, she's, she has a very, very sweet story that's definitely worth investigating if you put the time in. Um, and I think what annoys me with how some people treat her is that they look at her like she's an annoying child character, but she actually has a lot of depth and a lot of substance to her. That definitely makes her one of the more interesting characters in the game. Yeah, like the other kid characters in this series. Lots of she layers. She has some depth. Yeah. She she didn't remind me of Iris. Like, Iris had a lot of layers, but Iris, I remember, kind of always irked me in the anime just because she was a little bit obnoxious at times. Whereas I found Rosita wasn't really obnoxious. She was just a little bit too intrusive. 
to the point where she didn't really understand things like personal space. And you kind of felt bad for her because just she was never told otherwise how to interact with people. So her social skills are just yeah. all over the place. Um, but that being said, I think a lot of the characters in this game have awkward social skills. Um, I mean, and it's the thing that they're all struggling with in their own way. Yeah, Diana's social skills aren't that great. Well, it doesn't help. She's also in a wheelchair, poor soul. And she it's gets out of it eventually, but... Um, takes a lot of yeah. pushing and, you know, she's just one of those characters where um, I would say she would kind of go either way with people. Either you're going to love her or you're going to absolutely despise her. She kind of really doesn't have a middle ground in her behavior, and that's because she tends to act out a lot, and she likes to overreact to a lot of things. But that being said, you know, she's also the designate healing character. So you <laughs> Yeah, kinda, she was training to be a doctor. She was training to be a doctor, you know, but then she couldn't walk. <laughs> yeah, there's something about how her spiritual power, which we should probably get into eventually, is so strong that it's overwhelming her body and she'll be dead because her body can't handle all the energy it's producing. Wasn't that about it? Yep. That was what it was, and you you did feel sorry for her, like absolutely. And I her just old found with friends or the birds in the park, but then she has a real fit when Shinjiro actually tries to heal one that she pronounced soon to be dead, which means yep. she's a very fatalistic person. Oh yeah, I remember that scene. It the fit she throws is actually pretty amazing because she completely loses it. Meanwhile, poor Shinjiro's thinking he's trying to help. And that that's actually something, I mean, I want to touch upon with the characters in this game. You, you really feel sorry for Shinjiro, even though that's the character you're playing as. Because in a lot of cases, he's always trying to do what he thinks is right, or he's trying to do something that he feels will help the girls open up to him. And it just seems like every time he does something, they get more and more upset with him because of how close he's trying to get. Even though... In some ways, it's not like he's trying to get their life story out of them. He just wants, you know, wants a little bit of understanding. Yeah, that, He gets bullied a lot, too. Like with Ogami, naturally, since that's the uncle, um, <laughs> this is not like your traditional dating sim in that the male who interacts with all the ladies is not just a player surrogate. He is his own character. He doesn't actually say anything vocally while all the other characters do except in cutscenes or FMVs, but he has lots of dialogue and he is his own character. Like, and you know what? He's, he's a wonderfully written character as well, just because he, he's still trying to discover himself. I mean, not only does he have the task of really opening these women up and trying to get them to produce their, produce their full potential. But I mean, he's still trying to learn what his potential is. And, I love the way that they do it in the game just because of the fact that um, the game really makes you sympathize with him as though like no matter how hard he tries, it's just not possible sometimes to to do things perfectly. Um, I mean, there's a great example with uh, Sharon or Shigita, whichever you want to call her, um, where they actually are in Harlem and they have a kind of trial and, you know, oh, he, yes. has to, he has to argue against her. And really, the only way 
you can get through this is by revealing that the corporation she's in league with to raise the Harlem neighborhood is in fact evil. Of course, once you look at the guy she's talking to, it should be obvious that he's evil, but I guess she's just willfully blind at that point. And by triggering her own memories of trusting her friends in Harlem over these soulless corporate types. It's like I said, just, it's a very interesting scene to look at just because she actually comes across very naive and he in some ways is exposing that little bit of naiveness that she has. I mean, I just, I really appreciate how they, they handled his character and how he interacts with the women just because, you know, he's not a pig. Um, he's not somebody who is like, ooh, boobies. I mean, like, which is totally where they could have went with it. Um, and they chose not to, which is good. I mean, especially because yeah. NIS's localizations are notorious for sometimes exaggerating that kind of stuff, let's say. You know, um, that reminds me of yeah, an anime I was watching last week. <laughs> Too much boobies. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. And, and there <laughs> is a sauna in the game, which could have led to numerous unpleasantries. And it sort of does, but not nearly to the level that would have been possible in less restrained hands. Yeah, I mean, for if you're you if you've been around different animes or even certain um <laughs> well, who makes those games, the Artanel games and as such. Gust. Gust. If you've been around certain Gust games, this is this is this is totally tame by comparison. So uh no, nah, this is actually pretty PG. I mean, other than the one scene where Gemini's, like, wiping up something and the dialogue was something really weird, like, wipe Gemini up. Yeah. It was something really weird, and I just remember going, ooh, that's dirty. I'm going to pick that option, and she got upset. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't remember if she she liked that option or she got upset. I just remember that she reacts. And there are a few instances where you get to pick something on screen to... Uh, interact with and it's usually a full picture of the lady and you have to pick very carefully what part of her body you're going to interact with yeah (laughs) particularly the one where Rosita, Rika, whatever you want to call her is just coming out of the hot tub and she managed to get caught on uh, a board or something and Shinjiro has to get her down while being correct about it Poor boy. <laughs> gets into so many awkward situations. And, and you know he's trying to be completely respectful. Like like I said, Shinjiro, not a pig. <laughs> like, you know, he wants to handle all these awkward situations as completely well-mannered as possible. No matter how awkward or, you know, kinky it could be. Um, like, I don't know, I just, I loved him. I sympathized with him a lot, just because, you know, those were some pretty awful situations. It's like, hey, Shinjiro, you want to help me fix my shirt? No. Okay, I won't look. <laughs> and like, you know, he's just, he's sweet. Um, we also forgot to talk about Ratchet, who doesn't yeah. necessarily join your party if, if you're not successful in recruiting her. She actually I gather has that some... you have to play New Game Plus in order to get her ending accessible. 
Yeah, I, I, I would also I like to say that, that her her military outfit in this game looks a lot better than that funny vertical blue and white striped dress she was wearing in the movie, which just did not work very well. No. She looks a lot better in the military suit. Yeah, but uh, Ratchet Ratchet's a very matter-of-fact woman, very by-the-books, very, very calculating... You know, she's got a set system almost for everything. She's also very hard to please. <laughs> I didn't find her hard to please superficially, but getting her really pleased, uh, that was difficult. That was hard. <laughs> I mean, she was not as bad as, as Subaru or Sharon, but she had some choices where it was very, um, there was like a big gray area, and sometimes you weren't always sure what answer would get you the smack in the face or which one would actually make her really happy. Because sometimes her reactions were very deadpan, so you couldn't always tell if it was super bad or super good, minus the little chime that'll tell you, yep. obviously, did you pick the good answer? <laughs> um, I don't know how many times I pissed her off, truthfully. <laughs> Just because I couldn't read her very well, and I know that. Comes from experience. She, Ratchet and Subaru were also in the Star Division in Europe with uh, Orihime and Lenny, which doesn't come up much in this game, but knowing that lends a little bit of background for the series to them. And then there's Kayama, who doesn't do much in this game, but I'm sure you saw him at one point. He's there. I'm you trying remember to remember. The, the guy with the white suit who... Oh, has, yes, yes. Has, ...who has a place in New York Square, uh, Central Square, I think. Where yes. And mostly just acts goofy because that's what Kayama does. Yeah, he's a little nutty. But he, his introduction in the second game was coming through Ogami's window, strumming a guitar, and saying uh, something in Spanish. Yeah, it was a little weird. That's like, Kayama. I'm trying to remember, what was the uh, president of the Star Division's name? Michael really Sunnyside. Michael Sunnyside, yes. I loved him. He he was a complete whack job. He has a terrible haircut, but that's part of the charm, I guess. He he has a terrible everything. <laughs> like, his suit is hideous. His hair is hideous. His glasses are hideous. But he's absolutely, completely bonkers. And you can't help but just laugh at some of the crap that comes out of his mouth. Like, I played it in English, and the guy who did the voice acting for him was amazing. Like, they really got that level of crazy that the character just emits. <laughs> like, and I, and, I, and I loved it. Like, I believed it completely. Especially considering that the voice acting in the English version is, is fairly hit or miss. There are certain characters that are done really well, and then there are some who are absolutely atrocious. <laughs> so Well, in Japanese, he even more than some of the other characters, sprinkles his dialogue with random English phrases. Because he's an American, right? I'm That's... an American. I'm an American, not an Americant. <laughs> it's true. And I'm not even an American on this podcast. I think you're closer to an American than to being Japanese. Let's just leave it there. It's probably true. Probably Let's see, and then there's the two ladies who run the booths in the lobby of the theater. Oh my god, I love the one that's really busty. 
she makes me laugh. Yes, the one who's the one is. who's dressed like she's in a fifties retro cafe, even though it's nineteen twenty eight. That would be okay. She's she's plum in Japanese. I think she's cherry in English. Cherry in English. Yes, I loved her. Oh my goodness! Because anything you say to her always comes across as a sexual innuendo. Like there's just no way around it. Yep. She makes everything out to be something pornographic, and you can't help but laugh. <laughs> and actually, the person who does her English voice, it's kind of awful, but it's that kind of awful that's really fun. And you're just like, oh, this is so bad, but I can't stop <laughs> listening. And then there's the other young lady who just Andre. always hated me, and I just ignored her most of the time and got my stickers from her, and that was it. Because I was yeah, like, Henri, not- you're a meanie face. I'm not sure if there was a point to trying my best to please her because it's really hard. And even if you do it, what's your reward? Well, I can't remember if she and Cherry actually have like an ending of sorts. I think they do actually, considering you still have to do lips for them every so often. Well, they and Sunnyside have a great musical number that I've heard, but I don't think you can actually unlock that in the game. Uh, to be honest, I can't remember. I'm sure somebody out there knows better than we do. But like, uh, there was we, well, we kind of gave Gemini short shrift. Okay, most popular character. Let's roll with it. Oh come on, Texas samurai cowgirls aren't that common. No, they aren't, and <laughs> she is she is adorable. I just kind of truthfully didn't like her plot twist. What you didn't care for the. Multiple personalities? She's, she's, the multi, she's the mysterious stranger because she has another personality that manifests all of her power and her Gemini persona is um, just... The I'm a cute country that, bumpkin. Yep. Um, truthfully, I wasn't into that. I don't know. For me, Gemini wasn't even one of my favorite characters in the game. I found her... Truthfully, like I get why she's popular. I just would have liked one of her personas to be more important than the other. I don't really like her whole having to converge her personalities because I didn't think that was necessary. But that's just me. I mean, I would have liked if she was just the mass vigilante the whole time, but I like that kind of crazy as opposed to country bumpkin. <laughs> that's just me. I think she's cute. She's definitely got a lot of soul. She's incredibly kind. You just want to give her a big hug because most of the time she's making mistakes. And, you know, she's new to New York as well. So that's why she, her and Shinjiro get along so well. At first, anyways, it's just because they have something in common. You know, she's just a girl from the Lone Star State who rustled up cattle, rode horses, worked on a farm. And she's very and proud of that. apparently if you, if you played Episode Zero, which I haven't, then you got to see her journey all over the continent on her horse. Well, what I like about Gemini is that she's a very proud person. You know, mm-hmm. there are so many moments where she constantly says, you know, I should have just packed up and went back to Texas. And you got to love her perseverance because she also knows in her head that's a complete failure. She goes back. She didn't prove a point to anybody. And that's not what she wanted. So, you know, I love her spunk and I love the fact that she has a very positive attitude towards everything that she does. Um, I think it's great that there's a character in the game who who is that, the constant force of positivity. Um, and even when she's negative, 
you know, she's always trying her best to to keep a positive attitude, even when when things look really rough. So you got to smile. Yeah, she does her best, and really, most of her anger comes from the mysterious stranger side, which is definitely not something you want to mess with. Yeah, absolutely. The mysterious stranger side's pretty, uh, pretty awkward. I gotta say. Yeah, because like, it actually takes somebody shooting, uh, removing her Mardi Gras mask for anybody to realize. Hey, that looks like Jiminy. Well, I was like, duh. Seriously, well, they didn't try very hard there <laughs> to like make her look different enough. Well, she does act differently, and she, her voice actress in the Japanese even does a great job of sounding different. But you... If I'm not mistaken, in the English version, it's Laura Bailey, and Laura Bailey does actually a pretty decent job of changing it up. It's just her actual Texan accent is really bad. <laughs> like, like I said, the English voices are very, very hit or miss in this game, unfortunately. <laughs> like, anyone who had to do an accent is just bad. <laughs> Like, Rosita, really bad <laughs> in English. In Japanese, mildly irritating. Let's put it that way. Which is funny, because, she, like... She's I'm, more irritating than Kokoliko, because Kokoliko, I, I seriously think, is the poster standard for how to do a child, a child character. character without being irritating. Yeah, Rosita kind of does push the limit at times, but it has more to do with the fact that she's a trigger-happy, hyperactive child who pretty much is on a sugar high and only eats hamburgers. Yes, anytime you mention food in her presence, you've got her immediate attention. Steak, potatoes, burgers, everyone, let's eat! (laughs) That was like my favorite of the combat calls, (laughs) just because it was so random. It's like, she has priorities, people. It's called, she wants to get back in time for dinner. So you don't mess with her. <laughs> Whereas everybody else has, like, something really, really positive that they say, and she's just like, I want dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so much like Rosita, because remember last podcast, I think I distinctively said, I want that. I'm hungry for that. <laughs> so, just, you know what? I like Sakura Wars 5 cast because for the part, I think everybody's really solidly written. They're well fleshed out. Um, I don't feel like anyone got the short end of the stick. Like, I think everybody got equal treatment. And it's good because of the way that the game's set up. I mean, there's, I think it's what, 12 or 13 chapters? 11, I think. 11? I think 11. 12 might be the wrap-up chapter. I think 12 was the wrap-up, but, I mean, everybody gets their own chapter, so you really get the chance to interact. What I also love is the fact that the cast of characters also interact with each other, and they really, you know, like, for example, in the Diana chapters, where Diana is feeling sorry for herself with the birds, very seldom, like, in some cases, you'll have Gemini saying, let's go befriend Diana. Let's see where it goes. Like, there's yeah. definitely a push to try to do that. Um they all talk about each other. They all gossip about each other. So it's interesting just to see that kind of interaction. You know, you go into one room and all of a sudden, you know, maybe you'll meet Cherry and Cherry's gossiping about one of the girls she doesn't like. So there's really good character interaction here. Everybody's fully flushed out and it makes for a really great story experience. I agree. 
while we're on this, I suppose we should talk about the villains. The villains who were really crazy and kind of pointless, but they gave exactly. you a good giggle. <laughs> well, we're, we're in great keeping with the other villains in the series here, except for the fourth one. I mean, you're fighting an evil rabbit in the third game. Yeah. In this one, uh, well, well, I liked Dokurobo, the, the really big muscly guy who is trying to break open all the vaults on Wall Street. And is that apparently was, that a gigantic moron. <laughs> that that boss fight was actually really clever. The way that they had set it up, and just the way you had to maneuver between the different buildings to make sure that you didn't get missiled in the face. Yep. That 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 was that was a good boss fight. Actually, I mean, as much as you know, I'm gonna probably rag on the combat a little bit for being slow. There is a lot of creativity in the battles. Um. Even, like, there's one battle, I think it's actually the last boss fight, um, you have, like, the floor crumbling. And yeah, that's the last it, boss. Yeah, and it crumbles every turn. So if you're not careful, one of your characters could be on one of those crumbly bits, and they're gone. <laughs> so and they always a, try Ron to spice Maru. it up. Ron Maru was bad in English. For Such a long a... time, I thought Ranmaru was voiced by Megumi Hayashibara in Japanese, but apparently not. It's not. And... No. Hmm. Voice sounded kind of like hers, though. Cool. And, yeah, he's, well, apparently he is a he. It also kind of startles me. Hmm. And he's a little rabbit-eared fellow who you fight first, then you fight last. See, that's, that's the false climax because Jiminy lets him go at the end of that last fight and everybody assumes that he's going to reform himself. So that of there's... course he doesn't. And everybody thinks that because he did that, well, everything's over. New York is safe. No. No. That's not how it works. And there's Sugarubi, the, the fellow who can turn people to stone. Yawn. Yeah, he's not a very deep character, but the fight with him is somewhat interesting because at first it's only with Subaru. Everybody else is uh, yes. paralyzed. I was going to say, and that battle actually can be really challenging if you're not careful. Um, I know I had to do that one at least once over just because I didn't position myself well. And positioning in this game is so important. Yeah, the... Well, we'll get to the combat soon, but I'll just say this while I remember it, that since you don't actually lose any of your gauge until you confirm an action, you can move all over the place and see which direct line uses the least movement points. Yep. There's also the cannon fight, which was really cool, too, and I don't remember whose boss if that was a boss fight or if that was just a, one of the only regular battles. It was the one with the cannons and the chains, where you would uh, try to sever the chains. Oh, that. Yeah, that's that's right before you finally kill Ron Maru. Okay. I couldn't remember where that was. I just thought that was a really cool fight, because once again, a little bit of creativity involved in what it wants you to do. I would mention the Black Dragon Princess and Yume Dono, but they weren't all that memorable. Just the, the real bad guy. Because there is a Japanese exhibit in New York, Oda Nobunaga is your villain. 
and he's hilarious. <laughs> like, he just says some of the weirdest things, and you're just kind of like, okay, dude, cool. We don't know what your, your deal is. And his deal isn't really clear either. <laughs> yeah, it's something about New York is full of uh, negative emotions, and I can use those to fuel my return. I think that was about it. Yeah, pretty much. So then he just says a lot of inane crap that you're just kind of like, you're Oda Nobunaga, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) I was very... And he apparently has command over an alternate dimension that he can get into at any time, and that's where you have the final fight. It's pretty nifty. It is. And again, that climax just leads you to uh, to realize what the first three games were like. When I say that's the real climax, you're looking at a series of about seven or eight battles in a row with not too much broken between, breaking them up. So that's what the first three games were like in their climaxes, and it's like that here. And I suppose we should mention some of the interesting things you will find in New York, according to this game. Oh, dear. Let's see. Where is the Little Lip Theater situated again? Isn't it over, overlooking Main or Fifth Avenue or something? Yes. So apparently a gigantic airship launching device has been hidden under these New York cross streets that lifts up whenever they need to get to the scene of the battle. And it's a huge slingshot. It's awesome. (laughs) It's like you're watching some sort of power ranger or something. They're all, they're all getting ready to go into combat and they're big, huge swords or whatnot of robots. It's all, it's, I mean, to me, it's like be ready goodness, but then Nothing, but nothing compares to how they get from point A to point B. All the robots are in this big, huge, silver, bullet-looking thing, and it's launched there with a humongous slingshot the size of a city block. Phil, it's it's Samurai Pizza Cats, essentially. Yeah, and it is awesome. It's fun to watch, too. Like, I I never got tired of it. I never got tired of it. I want to get into battles just so I can see that part. It's awesome. And you gotta love the level of excitement that goes with it, because everybody's just thrilled to watch this thing pop up and just launch the robots. <laughs> I also uh, noticed in the climax that apparently a large collection of missiles is being housed in the Statue of Liberty. I'm I'm glad I know that now. I'm afraid of the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> well, that's because you saw badass. Ghostbusters 2. This is true, I did. She's badass. Don't get an NES advantage connected to her. She'll march down the, the city. Absolutely. Thankfully, she doesn't do that here, but... That, that boss fight was pretty mean, actually. <laughs> the Statue of Liberty. I, I remember cursing a lot on that one. And you have to do, like... Because of the fact that, you know, not only do they have a robot form, but they also have a plane form. And the plane battles, oh my god, were so slow and so awful. Yeah, that's... that's they were not that fun. <laughs> no, that, no. That was new to this game. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's the only thing. The battles in general, but especially the airplane battles, were a wee bit on the slow side. And uh, the plane battles didn't exactly feel strategic to me for a turn-based deal. But that was just me. But I, I like that the ground combat was was serviceable. It wasn't Front Mission 3 or anything, but, you know, you are moving, you know, robots around and shooting things and the such. And, and if you totally forego all tactics, you'll probably get your butt kicked. Um, so you, you do have to use a, a, a little bit of strategy. Well, it's all about paying attention to your surroundings and paying attention to your move gauge. I think if that, you don't pay attention to your move gauge, that's one easy way to screw yourself over. Did I have problems with the camera on some of those maps? Did y'all have problems with the camera? I'm trying to remember if I had. I'm trying to remember problems. if I had camera issues. I think during this one particular battle, I was getting a little cranky because there's there in the in the plane battles, the camera does get a little wonky at yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. Um, I never yeah, I found it. It was too. an issue of. In the uh, in the steambot battles, in the steambot battles, actually the camera was really good, but anytime you had to do anything with the planes, that was really bad. Um, the one with the Statue of Liberty battle was actually one of the worst for the camera because you couldn't always tell what was around you, so you'd be wondering sometimes like if something was shooting you from behind, you'd be like, well, where is it? I can't actually find it, or you'd see something that's below you that you can't actually get at. I remember that being the most of a problem on the battle where you're taking the airship up to reach Nobunaga's castle yes, and you have to guard it from all the things that are trying to blow up the engines. That battle um, was a pain in the ass. and I Actually, I, I won it pretty easily once I figured out that you can let one engine go and then just switch everybody to the other side and protect that engine and you'll be fine. I just remember it being a pain in the ass because of the camera. Because the it camera was not did not help. Easy. It was not always easy to know what was around you. Um, and this game is really good in that it lets you see far enough in advance where stuff is and, and how far you can go, which is really great considering it's not an isometric tactical game. So, you know, you've got a lot of free viewing space in terms of what, how far you can go and what you can look at. Um, that part's great, but in the, the fighter jet plane battles, I mean, um, it was a little bit harder to do that. Yeah. And I found, especially with that engine battle in particular, that was the worst for it. Because you could never see what was behind the actual, um, the freighter. So you would, you could, if you were at the very front, it was very hard to see what was behind you. Just as if you were at the back of it, you couldn't see what was ahead of you. Just because of how it was designed. And there was nothing more annoying than trying to barrel roll under it to get to the other side. And then you had to have half a steambot battle, half a fighter jet battle, and it was just like, oh my god. I did mostly. I did like parts of the flying stages just because I've always been a fan of bosses that I get to blow apart in detail. You know, instead of having one big target, you get to blow off their arms and their shoulders and their helmet and whatnot. And all of these bosses have that in the air. No, I actually appreciated that about it myself. I thought it was really great kind of what the actual objectives were. I thought that was actually really well done. I just found like sometimes that the the plane battles were just a little bit too slow for my taste. On the other hand, I mean, um, you know, it was also more challenging I found with the fighter jets to get the combos to get everybody to partner up and stuff. 
it was really hard at times. Whereas I found with the Steam bots, it was so much easier to just, you know, get everybody close together and and just do a big wipeout attack. I found some of both, yeah. It really, you really need to have good positioning for flying parts. And if yep. somebody, sometimes you just wiggle around really closely and try so hard to get into just that right zone where you still have enough energy to make the attack, and yet you can actually do the duo. Definitely. It was, it was annoying. Hmm. So, did did I by chance miss the part of the conversation though, where we talked about what you do in between the battles, which actually for once is a majority of the game? We hadn't Maybe really talked about that time. yet. Yeah, because one of the things that'll strike you, and I've said this a hundred million times, I, I personally think that computer and console RPGs live, breathe, and die on their battle systems. Uh, I know people swear by the story or the interaction, but the reality is in most computer and console RPGs, you spend 70 to 80% of your time in battles, and the rest of the stuff is just kind of fluff that connects the battles together, gives you a purpose for fighting or whatnot. Um, not this time, but no. not this time, though. Uh-uh. No, the battles are something you kind of do in between the story. Um, uh, yeah, so you spend uh, a good chunk of the game uh, talking with other uh, the other NPCs uh, the other girls and the such and while you're uh, talking with them which is kind of developing uh, their relationships and moving the plot forward slowly but surely um, uh, there will be these uh, quick time events in there Ooh, quick time <laughs> events we just love those they're, but they are not the same as those they're that not, we saw in Shenmue yeah they're not your god of war quick time events where you're quickly pressing triangle followed by X to kill something. Uh, no, you you have a fair amount of time, mm-hmm. and but the time does matter. If you if you wait too long, then you'll say nothing. Well, which well, is its well own hold response. on, hold on, Mike. You're you're kind of you got to paint the picture here. You, you know, you, Sorry. yeah, yeah. Because when you say quick time events, a lot of people are thinking god of war. You know, hit the X to kill the big boss. What we're talking about here is actually during the conversation. Uh, there's a number of different types of quick time events, but one of the ones that Mike's referring to at the moment, that type is where you'll be in a conversation. The girl will ask you a question, and you've actually only got like so much time to answer it, uh, or you don't say anything at all, which is probably a worse outcome. And so I thought that was a pretty interesting twist. The developers call this LIPS, Live Lips. Interactive yeah. Picture System. Yeah. And yes, that was the Japanese developers, so you can kind of understand why live interactive picture system is not the best acronym ever. Yeah. Hot. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, yeah. And so normally in a lot of RPGs, when you are faced with a difficult question, you got time to sit there and think about it. You, you, you know, there's no rush. You can go look up the stuff online and see what happens if you answer a certain way. But in, in Sakura Wars, there, <laughs> there can be a, a quick timer. And, and some of this stuff is important because depending on how you answer these questions, uh, they contribute to how strong your relationship uh, may be with each of the ladies, which in turn has combat implications if I remember correctly. Yes, Yes, it it does. does. And in this game, unlike the others, you actually see exactly how much the stats will be boosted for each lady prior to going to combat. Before, it was somewhat vaguer, although you generally knew, well, she doesn't like me, so she's not going to fight alongside me very well. She's probably going to be a brat and do her own thing. (laughs) 
Yeah, they'll well, take your orders. They just won't perform as well. Or in this game, you might actually have moments of, wow, this character is doing poorly because she hates me that much. <laughs> I don't know how many times that happened to me with um, with Sharon. She just gets so mad at me. All I'm like, can you stop being so mean to me right now? Why can't you be more like Subaru, who for some reason loves me? <laughs> oh, I threw temper tantrums with that game because you know what? Like, sometimes I feel like I would I'd be doing the right things, and then the game would be like, no, you're really not. This person doesn't like you very much. Diana was the other one that was just so damn hard to please, and half the time I just didn't cry with her. I was like, you you upset me because you sit and be mopey all the time. It's like I only want positive people in my game, damn it. <laughs> That's why Gemini was always prepared. <laughs> she would always go into battle and it always had like the like the hyper response of super prepared. And I'd be like, that's right, Gemini. That's why you rock. <laughs> Meanwhile, Sharon would be not prepared at all. <laughs> I'd be like, damn you, Sharon. <laughs> Do your job. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> I'm just saying that was my experience where I know with Scott, he had a harder time with making Subaru happy because... He'd already seen me beat the game with the Subaru endings. He was like, I don't need to please her. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd Scott get the ending of? He got Sharon. Ah. And he was very happy with that choice. He was originally going to go for Gemini, but I got really mad at him because I said to him, I'm like, I like I said, I originally was going to go for Rosita. And he said, no, we need to figure out if she's a dude or not. <laughs> so I said, okay, in return, I get to pick who you get to go for in your playthrough. Because he originally wanted <laughs> Gemini. And I was like, no, I wanted to go with my second choice. That you made me change. I'm like, you're not letting me date the hot black woman. So you're going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) We have an interesting relationship. Let's put it that way. I'm 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 getting hints to that right now. Yes. I'm sure, though, like people who play games with their spouses, though, you know what? If there's dating options, you're always going to try to get your spouse to do what you want them to do. why I'm not allowed to play certain types of games because I'm like, no, you need to go date this person. Why? Because it's funny. <laughs> like, it's usually how it goes. I don't even want to tell you about my dating perils in Mass Effect. <laughs> we'll save that for another day. Indeed. <clears throat> Phil, since you watched, I mean, did you actually play the game or did Shirley play it? Uh, kind of a mixture of both, because when she got tired of doing some of the quick time events, she handed it to me, because she doesn't like to be under speed trials, because there are other types of quick events as well, not just answering questions, but sometimes you'll have to uh, perform certain tasks that are related to the story at that particular moment, like the lights. Yeah, that, that's another new one to this game, the, the use of the dual analog sticks to make motions. Motions, yeah. I remember one time I'm having to turn off a valve, so I'm having to turn around the analog sticks counterclockwise or something real fast, yep. and and, and I'm, I tend to be a lot better than that than, than Shirley, so she would hand me the controller in. I would do those, or the tactical battles. Uh, she she's not a super big fan of those, so I would do those for her, so she could go on and see the rest of the story. So That's one way of doing it. Yeah, yeah, you can play. This is a this is that you heard it here first on RPG Backtrack. This is a couples game that <laughs> that you can get together and hold hands and play together. Actually, you can do that too if each one of you takes half of the controller and each takes one analog stick. So sometimes you have to do two things at once. Awesome. I was going to ask, who did you and Shirley go for? Like, which was your lady friend? 
Uh, I think we were both going for Subaru just to figure out whether or not he, she, it was a girl, boy, or unknown. <laughs> because I think just like you, it was like, damn it, what is she? So yeah, surely I think when we were trying to do anything, and if and Subaru's rating went down, we hit the reset button, which means a lot in Sakura Wars, because the save points are, you know, because you're going through all this storyline, it doesn't let you save in between. So a lot of times when you answer these questions, you're going to be committed to them, uh, because you've just went through 20, 30 minutes of cutscenes and talking and making decisions and suddenly you realize the decision i think it gives you some feedback the decision you made doesn't make them happy well they make a frowny face or they say something negative back to you or something there's, there's a chime there's a chime yeah that's right and uh but you're already 30 minutes in are you really going to do that 30 minutes over again just to get that chime to do something different um or are you going to make a separate file and see what happens if, with this choice yeah, yeah, or you're just going to kind of move forward. So it definitely is one of those games that kind of encourages you, and I put that in quotation marks, to just make your gut decisions and go with them and play through the game. Because if you're constantly second-guessing yourself, you may never get through it because you'll end up going back to these save points that are 20 or 30 minutes you know, old, or you're going to be playing multiple save games all over you know, the place and never get, get to an ending. So... <laughs> Uh, if you are one of those fanatical people, and I understand, <laughs> but if you're one of those fanatical people that absolutely has to have the best ending that you're looking for, I would highly recommend you do one of two things. Either one, print out that FAQ and have it right with you, and kind of look ahead to the questions where you pick them out, which kind of takes away some of the magic of the game. Or number two, just play the game normally, and if you don't get the ending you were hoping for, watch it on YouTube. <laughs> and that way you get the best of both worlds without you know replaying you know all those parts over and over again. But um, I, I, yeah, th there are some friends I have who are just not happy unless they get when they play through the game they get the best ending, and those are the kinds you know who are reloading every time they make a bad decision or something. This game is really not conducive to that, given the the spacing of of the ability to save only you know every so often. There was a couple of other uh, little gameplay things. I think sometimes I was in a room with where one of the ladies, and I had the opportunity to look around her room, and um, <laughs> if I looked at her panties or something, that would give me negative points if I got caught or something. I, it's been a few years since I played it, but uh, it was really funny. It's a really, really, really charming game. Or if you know... You're you're supposed to touch something on screen, and you decide to say touch her bosom. Yeah, I normally did that. I'm not gonna lie. Well, Sam, you have a special set of circumstances. We know that you do that whenever possible, right? It's true. I like to always pick the perverted options just to see how stupid they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like I want to see how they're going to react. I don't mind that they're going to get upset with me. I mean, well, I think if someone did that to me, I'd probably beat the living crap out of them. Ah, uh, it's fine because they're not real people, isn't that right? I suppose. Hmm. Um, My favorite is still Wipe Gemini <laughs> because it goes over so badly. It's like, do you want to help her wipe the floor or wipe Gemini? <laughs> It's like, obviously, you know what answer you have to choose. And then she likes it. And then you're just like, aw, you took care of her. Shinjiro, he's a classy guy. Hmm. Red Company isn't full of perverts based on this example. At least, not the biggest kind of perverts. Indeed. And let's see, we, we kind of touched on the voice acting, but I don't think we've... Phil... What was your take on the voice acting? 
you know, anybody knows me, I'm, I'm not a really big, you know, critic of voice acting. I'm one of those people who can play Arkwright's Fantasia and it only bothers me once in a blue moon. Um, uh, you know, so in this one, in this game, yeah, we had no problem. We had no problem with voice acting. It was, it was, it, it was conducive to the game, I, I, I guess. It's anime too, so. <laughs> when I, what was that one? Uh, what's the one with the seven? Uh, hey, Shirley. Shirley, what's the anime with Tamahome? What's it called? Fushigi Yugi. Yeah, Fushigi Yugi, yeah. So when you watch Fushigi Yugi and you're on like disc eight of Tamahome Miyaka, you know, and it's going back and forth, Tamahome Miyaka. Yeah, yeah, you just, I mean, I'm telling you what, you just become numb to any sort of, you know, Japanese bad voice acting. So it, it's it's all good. Now, super cheesy yeah, super cheesy, campy dialogue will eventually, you know, get to me. Or when there's things going on in RPG that just aren't scripted well, or or the plot doesn't make sense, that will have me pulling out my hair. But if the only problem is that the voice acting is a bit, you know, campy or or a bit irritating or what, I, it doesn't bother me one bit. As long as they're not screaming at each other in love, I'm all right with it. <laughs> nah, the voice acting, like I said, it's it's pretty hit or miss. You've got moments where, like, it is it is incredibly campy. Sakura Wars' voice acting is great. It's campy, but at the same time, like, the accents of the characters do are really, really bad. And the woman who voiced Sharon in English, holy crap, did she go for a stereotypical, I'm going to beat the living shit out of you black woman. And me going like, oh my god, why would you do that? And she's got a very thick New York accent, too, just to add on top of it. So that part had me a little bit cringing a couple times <laughs> and then it didn't help that in her biker gang like everyone had stereotypical hispanic accents so you're kind of going like oh oh this game oh where are you going with this <laughs> moments of like nail-biting awkwardness i mean it, it's it's bad in saints row 3 but not as bad as it is here unfortunately <laughs> Yeah, I can't speak much to the English voice acting because mostly for the few characters I'd already heard before, I just wanted to keep continuity, so I, I did it in Japanese. And See, Scott and I were playing it at the same time, so I stole the English disc and he stole the Japanese disc. Ah. So, you know, if he was here right now, he'd probably tell you guys his interesting experiences with the Japanese voice acting, which I remember him mostly liking. I don't think I think I ever heard him complain about it. Whereas I know when he watched me play the English version, he was like, God, Sam, this is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I've listened like, to enough Japanese stuff by now. Like, Ryo in Japanese was nearly as monotone as he was in English. and So not much difference. Not a whole lot. You'd think he'd be a little better in Japanese. No, not really. And I didn't come up with any real instances of bad voice acting in Sakura Wars. But it did bother me a little that with all this storage space on the PS2, there isn't more voice acting. Because if you break it down, all the plot events, there's maybe 25, 30% voice acting for all the dialogue. Does that sound about right? Yes. And that was fine for the Saturn, maybe even the Dreamcast. But with the PS2, I think you could make the whole game voice acted and it wouldn't be too difficult. Well, I know with the English version, obviously, that probably had to do with money. Right. Whereas, I'm I don't know of... about the Japanese. I don't know about the Japanese part. I'm pretty sure they probably would have had to pay royalties to them as well. 
So it probably, if anything, for NIS was probably just an expense thing. Not so much that it couldn't do it, just, you know, licensing means also not always being able to do everything that you want to do, unfortunately. It's true. I think, for example, if this game was being published by, you know, somebody with mega bucks, yay. sure, we probably would have, yeah, let's say yay. Not that they would touch something like this, but I'm not if it had, EA would never do it. But, but like I said, if, if if it was a game that they knew they could generate mega dollars, they probably would have put a mega dollar effort in. So you know, kudos to NIS for at least putting as much as they could into it. I mean, it could have been worse, and that we could have gotten no voice acting at all. And I think trying to license, yeah. especially the Japanese voices, probably would have costed a pretty penny. So, probably, I mean, yeah. that, I think, was the harder part. I don't think the English VAs, it was probably as difficult to deal with. Whereas with the Japanese VAs, I mean, these are women who are really well-known, or women and men, sorry, that are really well-known in Japan, I mean, with the stage plays and everything. And those stage plays generate, like, a hell of a ton of money in Japan. Like, I don't know if people are aware about how much money Sakura's as a franchise actually makes. I mean, they don't really do it anymore now, I don't think. I don't think they've, re- you know, revisited the series on stage. But, I mean, just the amount of merchandise when the games came out. No, I mean, it was the, amazing the to see. has always been the most popular on stage for whatever reason. So, yeah, you, you won't see much of that brought over here because, well, none of, the, none of the Tokyo Group's games ever came out over here. And based on the OVAs, nobody really knows who they are. Exactly. Like, the series definitely has a, a fan base, and it's kind of a shame maybe that we didn't get to really experience it to the fullest. But that being said, I mean, I think Sakura Wars 5 is still a very solid game. And I think it it does a decent job about really introducing the mechanics of the series. Well, introducing a few new things that, you know, maybe weren't in the old games, but, you know, are still neat ideas, even if perfect, not perfectly executed. Yeah, I'd pretty I much just, agree. I would. I just give it points for being different and not being afraid to be different. Yeah, it's 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 that's that's my whole thing too. It's original. It's totally different. It's not like any other JRPG that I've got. And you're right that you know nothing about this game particularly stands out, but it's greater than the sum of its parts. It actually kind of works, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, if you have patience with it, if you're somebody who's looking for you know straight up action, it's probably not going to work for you. It's not. No, this this game is made for the person who loves storytelling. Mm-hmm. If storytelling is your forefront, then this is a game for you. But you have to have, as Phil said, a lot of patience to deal with some of the other stuff that the game throws at you. Like, a lot of the lip stuff, you know what? Some of it takes getting used to, especially using the double analog stick. I know I had a lot of trouble with those at first when I played, because I'm not the most coordinated in that regard. (laughs) But, I mean, I think there's a lot of great ideas, and it's, you know, it's something worth experiencing if you're looking for just a different kind of RPG. Um, And if you love sim games, like, then there's no reason why you shouldn't not play this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just it's got a lot to offer. I mean, there's tons of endings. No one's playthrough is ever gonna be identical as we've established here. 
Um, you know, and the story just, it's really campy and really fun. And how many games can be campy and fun nowadays? Not that many, unfortunately. No, that, that's totally true because, I mean, the last couple of years we've seen a, a rise of the Western uh, first-person, third-person shooter type of RPG that is very serious in its tone. I mean, uh, in fact, what's that Skyrim joke about the guy getting shot with an, so an arrow, arrow in his knee? knee. And, and when that's the funniest thing... Seriously, though, if that's the funniest thing that people can come up with, because it seems to be the really popular joke from that 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 game, uh, they need to to ease up and play some Sakura Wars because there's a lot more funny <laughs> moments in that game. There's a lot more memorable, lighthearted moments in in probably ten minutes of Sakura Wars than there is in all of Skyrim put together. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> Unless you find some bug that's really really funny, like. That might be possible. Yeah, actually, you're right. That is the best part of uh, Skyrim I've heard is the elephants that are walking backwards in the middle of the sky. So, uh, yeah. You mean, and, or uh, the dragons that fly backwards and yeah, <laughs> um, falling through the atmosphere because, you know, that's a well-programmed programmed game, people. Awesome. <laughs> so you can get uh, Soccer Wars So Long My Love for your Sony PlayStation 2 for about $25 used, about, uh, I see a couple of people selling it brand new for uh, a tad under 40 uh, One person's got the premium edition, which includes a Japanese voiceover. Oh, I, I think that's the one I have. Uh, the that's premium, the one I have. Uh, with the, the one I have, too. Wow, that's 80 bucks. Wow, I should sell mine. Anyway, no, I'm not selling mine. And then there's... No, that's for brand new, isn't it? Uh, that's for brand new uh, premium edition. So mm -hmm. yeah, my wife my wife would listen to the Japanese voiceover because she does. Maybe that's why I didn't think the voice acting was bad, because I was probably listening to the Japanese <laughs> voice. Was it was the English voice acting bad? It's hit and miss. Some some of it's really good. Some of it is absolutely atrocious. Yeah. And then the <laughs> the Wii version is about twenty five to thirty dollars new or or used. Uh, so I see a, a one used one that's almost twenty bucks. Uh, so and, and having mentioned how important the story is, I have to put this addendum in for my early recommendation of uh, two and three in the series, which is if you are not prepared to consult a fact constantly, then you're going to have a really, really rough time playing these things in Japanese. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is just – oh, yeah. It's huge. Every time you have a question, you're most likely going to go, what the hell am I being asked? I don't know. And it's not like a game where you can play, this is my first Japanese lesson. I can study the characters as long as I want. No, Lips doesn't let you do that. So, But whereas, I can tell no, you that... Yeah. I was going to say, whereas in 5, no troubles. You will not ever need a fact for this game. No. Unless you want the perfect like, ending. Well, I was going to say, unless you want a perfect ending or you want to deal with Ratchet ratchets nonsense then by all means get it back otherwise you shouldn't have any trouble with this game at all like it's actually a nice decently paced game i mean you're probably looking at about under 20 hours to beat it or just a little bit over 20 i beat I it, it in 20 25 but i i like to wander and again that's that's where you mentioned everyone's playthrough won't be quite the same because when when shinjiro gets to wander around there just isn't enough time in the day or that you're allowed to find everything you possibly can in the many New York environs that you can do something about. 
Hmm. You might be wandering around and find Diana, and Diana needs you to help her make uh, a matchstick house or something. I, there was some scenario, something like that. Or if you know, do... wants you to take her to lunch all the time. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> I, I mean, we established that when she talks about hamburgers and steak and potatoes all the time, then food is very high on her list of priorities. Totally. She prioritizes, unlike everybody else. Except for maybe and, Sharon, who pro- overly prioritizes. <laughs> and while I'm thinking about it, the other aspect of the sound is the music, and Kohei Tanaka did a great job again. Rosita's song is, well, it may be stereotypical, but it is most clearly that of someone from Mexico. You will never mistake her music for anything but Mexican. And Sharon has a gospel tune, which is just astounding that somebody in Japan was able to write a gospel tune. Dude, she's from Harlem. It makes perfect sense. It does make perfect Religion sense. Religion is crazy important to her as a character. Which is interesting. But you don't normally think of a Japanese composer writing gospel now, do you? No, but remember, like, they probably had to do a lot of research to really flesh out New York the way that they did. And they do a really good job of it, like, in terms of incorporating proper music for that time period. They do a really good job. Gospel was really important during that time. So was ragtime. So was Dixieland. I mean, there's a lot. Um, and the soundtracks are really good. It really works well. Hmm. That I can say. Yes, it I does. Enjoy. And that ending theme is great. Kiss Me Sweet is oh, a great yes. number. Definitely. And you'll be hearing it at the very end of this show. Probably. Along with a couple of other ending themes, just because the ending themes are great throughout this series. But I, I think, Phil, it's easy to say, I think this is a game we can all recommend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the cat's even given it two paws up. Well, uh, for that to mean something, Phil, we've got to understand what else the cat gives two paws up. <laughs> Lunch, dinner, and going to the bathroom and being cleaned up after. Yeah, being <laughs> spoiled rotten. So Sakura Wars, so long my left, ranks up there with being spoiled rotten. <laughs> that's what we can conclude so while our audience uh, ponders this we're going to take a brief reset recess <laughs> we're going to we're going to go from a, a game that puts the action on the back burner for a interesting storyline to a game that does exactly the opposite we'll be right back after these commercial messages
and we're back. Today we have a PC Pit Stop segment where we talk about some of our favorite uh, PC RPGs, or just the ones we happen to be playing at the moment. Um, <laughs> so today we're talking about uh, Borderlands, developed by Gearbox Software and Feral Interactive, uh, published by 2K Games. Uh, this is a this was uh, released on the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, Microsoft Windows, uh, all about around uh, October 20th, uh, 2009. This is a first-person shooter action RPG single and multiplayer experience rated M for mature. Rated M for mature. I just went around shooting things. They do that in every game. How does that skin in M? Their brains blow out. What? Wow. What is the M from? Anybody? Morbid? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And for mature, I guess, but I, I guess in that case, most FPS shooter type of deals are... are, are anyway, so... <laughs> so, uh, in, um, uh, in Borderlands, uh, it's, it's definitely what we would call a, a role-playing shooter. Uh, you pick one of four characters that are headed out to these wastelands or borderlands or whatever they kind of look like desert wastelands uh and you're in uh what, what, what why are you just going out to seek your fortune to begin with is that the deal that gets that i, I didn't really pay much attention. there wasn't much story there uh, <laughs> do, do y'all remember or do you remember marshmallow What's no, it? I don't remember anything okay. about the story other than wanting to take the clap traps and throw them all into a volcano and watch them explode. Oh, they're so cute. Anyway, so yeah, we'll talk about them in a second. So yeah, I believe it was. So I'm guessing that your characters are out there to seek their fortunes as mercenaries and the such. You get to pick from from four dudes. Um, I picked the the soldier guy. Uh, because the soldier guy can lay down a turret anywhere, and it's like, uh, and he keeps saying it's like having a second soldier on the field, and he's right, and that's why uh, I love pet classes type of thing. Um, and you'll go into your first town, you'll uh, you'll talk to a guy there who asks you to do a couple of things, uh, clear out some of the uh, trash and the trash being the bad guys, because uh, he's having some problems with them, and then eventually you're contacted. It actually starts off right from the beginning. You're contacted by this lady. Who's uh, who's telling you that uh, that she's got some plans for you? Something about getting into the vault. Uh, good things in the vault. Gotta find the vault. Secret in the vault. So not a super deep, <laughs> not a super deep story, uh, because um, uh, there are a lot of uh, places you need to go and side quests you're gonna need to do. It just reminds me so much of WoW because uh, there's a story to Warcraft. I'm sure there is, but you know, by the time you're doing all the side quests and stuff, I tend to lose track of what was going on with what little main story there was there. It's it's not Lord of the Rings material here. It's not super deep, so uh, and that's okay. The focus is squarely on the gameplay. In the gameplay. Um, you it's, it's a first-person shooter, um, but you do gain levels. You do find lots of weapons. There's eight different weapon types, everything from a machine gun to a rocket launcher uh, and everything in between. Um, as you're killing off things, very much like in Diablo, you kill up an enemy. I don't care if it's a dog, or they're called dwarves, swags or something. Anyways, I don't care. You blow up the dog, the dog is blowing. Uh, his guts are full of bullets and guns. 
just like Diablo. You're running around picking up everything that spilled out of the dog who's who's who you just blew up. Um, so it's one of those loot collecting type of things. So you're comparing what you've just picked up with what you currently have, and then you're heading back to uh, the vendors, which in this case are vending machines, and you're selling off uh, those things that you don't need, saving up some loot, uh, and using that loot for upgrades uh, to increase like your maximum ammunition carrying capacity. Uh, or buying an upgrade to your shields and the such. Uh, the so between your levels going up in in between every level, very much like Diablo, you're picking uh, or World of Warcraft, you're picking talents uh, that help to customize your character even further. If there's a way to respect those talents, I haven't found it. Um, so choose wisely. And I just put all my points to my turret because I like having a kick-butt turret that helps shoot things while I'm running behind cover and letting my shields recharge. It's a very good distraction. Um, so so you're doing a lot of stat crunching, and it's cool when you had a gun and you were shooting somebody before and you were doing five points of damage, and then you swap a few things out, and now you're doing seven points of damage or ten points of damage, and that just keeps you know going up higher and higher. There's also elemental attributes to the weapons. There's fire weapons, which are good against flesh enemies, uh, electric weapons, which can shock enemies temporarily, uh, weapons that are good against armored enemies. So you kind of got some more of that RPG element going on where you're trying to equip the right weapon for the right situation depending on what you're fighting so you spend the mo i've been spending most of my time running the different quests that are all over the place uh, that progressively uh, put you up against higher and higher level enemies but at the same time my gear's kind of getting higher and higher my weapons i should say my shields are getting better so uh for the most part the battles i think part of my problem is that the battles that i was doing from first to seventh level aren't any more difficult than 20 to 25th level it's just that there are bigger numbers kind of flying all over the place there are boss battles uh, that break up some of the monotony of doing the questing and the boss battles uh, are different and challenging to an extent uh and occasionally frustrating um uh, but once you kind of figure out that pattern of that boss, uh, that will tend to matter more than the gear you happen to have equipped at the time uh, for some of these guys. You need to figure out you know, how to handle uh, some of these nasty bosses, uh, especially the guy who drives around in a jeep and runs you over for an instant death. Evil. Um, uh, the, 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 the graphics are really good. I love cell shade. This is an all cell shaded type of deal. I love cell shaded. Uh, the only problem is that it's all in a desert. So it kind of looks, <laughs> it's a desert wasteland. And there's some junkyard areas that look more junky than others. And sometimes How many varieties of cactus are there? Exactly. You can only do so many variations of the sand rock theme going on. You, you got some junkyards in the middle, but they're all gray. Wait, wait, wait. I, I bet I know, Phil, there are dancing scorpions. Yeah, actually, well, they're really big ass scorpions. They'll try to kick your butt, but uh, uh, there are uh, mo mutated monsters out there, and a couple which which uh, look like scorpions. And uh, yeah, you gotta watch out for those. Mm, a variety. There's somewhat of a variety of quests. Again, it just reminds me of Warcraft. I'm going out from point A to point B, killing a bunch of stuff to collect whatever they drop, so I can take it back and turn it in, or kill this one guy over here, or kill ten of those guys over there, or go find these objects that are kind of scattered over there and collect four of them and bring them back to me. So you kind of get a lot of a lot of those guys. But instead of using Warcraft battle mechanics, you're shooting people in the face, first-person shooter style, and uh, and collecting loot 
suit and 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 comparing it Diablo style. So it really kind of mixes Warcraft, Diablo with a first person shooter, and that's a for some for the most part it's a pretty good combination. Where the game really shines is if you can get online with other players and play multiplayer. Because then you got the chaos of your friends being there, and over a couple of drinks, it's even more fun. Because uh, everything's better with drinks. So, uh, the, the game does support multiplayer, and it handles the multiplayer uh, rather well. You can go out and have fun. The enemies will be tougher, but they'll drop better loot. And, uh, and you can go out there and kill things together, or better yet, you can just kill each other in competitive shooting. So, but that that's a little unbalanced. That's a, because if you're, a, it's kind of like World of Warcraft. If you're a few levels higher than your friend, you're gonna kick his ass, uh, unless you're just standing there letting him shoot at you. Very similar to doing, you know, PvP in World of Warcraft. Watching a level twenty go against a, a thirty is laughable. So, uh, yeah, PvP isn't super fun here. The, the the charm is in the cooperative play. How about you, Sam? Any thoughts on this? It's not a game I spent a lot of time with because I just really didn't enjoy the mechanics of it at all. It just wasn't my cup of tea, truthfully. You know, and, and I, I don't want to sound a negative nilly on a, on a game that most of my friends like has received great critical praise. And I realize that a lot of people enjoy this game. And I, the comments I'm about to make doesn't take Adrian anything. did Adrian really love it? Yes, you did. Yeah, and the comments I make doesn't take anything away from them. But for myself, yeah, I, I'm not a big super fan of homogenizing all the different genres. And you got a homogenization of Warcraft, uh, Diablo, and a first-person shooter kind of all mixed together here. And I, I, I like a, a well-put-together first-person shooter, and I can I can get into action RPGs sometimes. Um, and I love, you know, World of Warcraft. I, I play it all the time. But, um, but when I'm sticking these three together, I don't know which mode I want to be in. I, I, I'm, I'm when I get into the, when I'm going through a good quest or a good mission, and I'm and I'm really in a situation where I'm taking down person after person after person. I feel like I'm playing a first-person shooter. But as soon as I start enjoying it, that particular mission's over, and I've got to go turn it back in. And that's a two to two to four minute trip back and then i need to compare what weapons i picked up and switch those out like diablo and that takes a few more minutes and and, and so i feel like i'm being jerked out of one experience and put into another and then put into another and that homogenization uh, on a personal level doesn't work well for me it's well executed enough in the game i can appreciate for what it is it's not bad to where i'm putting it down and saying i don't want to play this again but i i when it's running on all the cylinders it, it's it's a really great experience but in between, which there's a lot of in between, because you're picking up weapons all the time and you need to sell the excess to make money, um, uh, it just uh, or you need to turn in those quests so you can get more quests. Uh, it it it, it, it kind of falters a little bit in my opinion. There's too much dead space in between the fun. So, uh, but 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 when it's going on all cylinders, it's a lot of fun. So, uh, let's see here. Uh, oh. The, we almost didn't talk about the claptraps, though. So the NPCs in the game aren't super exciting. There's a bunch of dudes here and there giving you quests. They don't have much personality. The RPG part of this, uh, as far as, I mean, there's the RPG part as far as the, 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 the loot grinding and all that. That's okay. But the RPG part as far as NPC story kind of stinky. Uh, the NPCs are pretty shallow. They just got some quests to get you. They got some, every once in a while you get a little good voice acting in there, but most of the quests you have to read them. Eh, 
it, you know, it, it, like World of Warcraft, I'm just skipping past the text. Let me go on to the next quest. But then there are these clap traps. So the clap traps are little tiny ro- or little robots, not tiny, but they're about a foot tall or so. And uh, and and usually you need their help in order to access the next levels and stuff. They they're floating around the town fixing things or uh, guiding travelers and the such. And they say witty witty type of things. I like when they're typing on the keyboards and they go do 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 do. He's actually saying do 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 do. You know, like he's making up the sounds that the computer would make. Uh, but they're, they're pretty funny, but Marshmallow wants to kill him. I'm just not a fan. I find them really irritating. <laughs> but, but, I, I'm honest here. I I just, they actually were the thing that kind of irked me with the game. And then I was like, I don't like the mechanics. The clap traps are annoying. Um, I just remember I played maybe about two hours of it and said, this is not for me. I know Scott actually finished the game and beat all the DLC, and even he wasn't huge on it. It was more of a, I have this game, I don't have anything else to play right now, so I'll just hardcore beat this. It's, it, yeah, hardcore beat, there you go. Uh, well, if you, if the claptraps was the only issue, thankfully, no. they don't take up too much of the time, but you're right. It's the, it, and I, I'll tell you, I, I, the way I best explained to a friend was... Um, I do play World of Warcraft mostly for the multiplayer, you know, elements and being able to, to hook up on something I can easily play with my friends. But World of Warcraft is kind of brainless, except for some of the in raids and the such. I can actually play that while watching TV at the same time. Borderlands is right there with it. I unless I'm fighting a boss or I'm, you know, in a in a rough. Sp- uh, one of the rougher missions, I can mostly watch TV on the side while I'm kind of playing it. And that, to me, for a single-player experience, that, to me, is usually a, a turn-off. In a multiplayer, uh, it's a little more understandable because you're waiting on other players or the dungeons are key to the lowest common denominator, so they're going to be easy. Okay. But in a single-player game, and it's not so much a uh, problem of difficulty balancing as much as it's just... You're in between the missions. You have to loot, compare. You have to go sell. You have to go travel. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. It, it is. I'm, I'm sure the multiplayer is great. Like I didn't have an opportunity to play that. I just think if, you know if I want a mindless gaming experience, I would rather go play something like Saints Row. Ooh, Saints Row is fun. We need to do one on that one. Is that an RPG too? No. It ought to be. You got more decision making <laughs> capability than you do in Borderlands. Actually, which that's kind of funny because that's actually true. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, I actually well, I've been I've been watching a lot of reviews on Saints Row because I do want to. I think I have this second one, and I want to get the third one when it goes on sale. So I, I need to put some time the third into one's it. But fun. I love the. I've watched their reviews. And it's like, oh yeah, this is Grand Theft Auto with a wicked sense of humor. I want to try that. So, um, uh, but again, I don't take away from the people who love Borderlands, especially those people who play multiplayer. I think like World of Warcraft, when you you know, it's one of those things where you have multiplayer, it's going to to work better. But as a single player game, which is how I mostly play it, <laughs> eh, it's like playing Warcraft all by yourself, lonely. I, I don't know. <sighs> anyway, uh, ready? Well, we'll be right back, and we'll wrap this up with the final lap.
And we're back with the final lap where we just kind of wrap some things up, read comments, do some housekeeping, talk about what we're playing, and that sort of thing. Yay. So, uh, <laughs> let's see here. Comments. Do we have comments this week, Mr. Minky? Happy comments. Let's check out all that. First, I have to go dig because unkind people have not kept it right at the top of the forums, so I have to go look. But there it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, Strawberry Eggs mentioned that she was regretting not being able to attend. Uh, apparently, she was stuck closing her store that evening and really wanted to talk about Magical Star Sign, and I'm sorry, Strawberry. If you Love know you, of a I'm way... If you know of a way to guarantee your nights off when you want them to be, um, see what you can do about it. Of course, if you're already a manager, that could get interesting. I don't know what to say in that case. And Shaman apparently had some response to Phil's problem with the DS native resolution. And actually, since Phil already explained that in the thread, well... Most of these responses for quite a while are about the 3DS not quite accurately representing what the DS looks like. Hmm. Yeah, and we kind of resolved that in there. And the Madness called us out for saying, for not mentioning Mir's protagonist switch based on the region it has, and, well, based on the Hardcore Gaming article, apparently that's the only real difference, that you're either... Her a brother or her father? I was going to say, you're either a hot Bishonen or an old guy. And truthfully, I want to be the old guy. He also, I'm sick of Bishonen. He also, you know, mentioned why we probably didn't go into some more detail about plots and such. And on the and as I mentioned in the boards, you know, uh, in the Blast in the Recent Past section, we don't go into uh, a lot of detail like we do in our main events, uh, typically. So um, a lot of that stuff... Uh, was definitely, you know, could be interesting for discussion, and we might have a show about, a whole show about near one day and, and go through all those details, but they were kind of irrelevant to the points, uh, you know, to, to what we felt like, you know, we went over what were, the, for us, the, the super highlights of those games, uh, of that game, um, to tell people why we liked it. Uh, those other things are interesting, and may or may not be reasons we did or did not like it, but we just felt they were pretty secondary, so we kind of put those on the back burner. However, we are always encouraged, all of our, you know, we know that you guys have different opinions on these things that we put out there. So we always encourage our listeners to give us a call uh, at 801-810-5597 and share their own thoughts on any game we talk about um, or maybe even some old ones that we haven't talked about just so you can share your experiences about Nier and all those other games with us. So. Yes, because if you actually do a count on all the conceivable RPGs that could be on the RPG backtrack, you will realize that getting to everything will take us a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, speaking of uh, next backtrack, we're going to be talking about some some Star Wars games. Yeah. Knights yeah, of the they're, they're they're closing in on their tenth anniversary, the fifth the first one at least. Yeah, Knights of the Old Republic and Knights of the Old Republic to the Sith Lords. 
So that's super exciting. We'll uh, we'll be talking about uh, for a blast in the recent past section. We'll be talking about 3D dot game heroes definitely, and possibly even uh, Heinz uh, uh, Hexy Force and Alpha Protocol. So if you've got comments or questions or anything about those games, you need to go ahead and send those in. Now, now, Sam, Scott yes. will be with us for Knights of the Old Republic, right? I'm sure he will because he's a big Star Wars nut, and he's also played Alpha Protocol, and he really likes that game. Yeah. That's the that's the super spy RPG, right? Yes, it is the espionage RPG. Espionage, which is one that's on my playlist at some point. So you'll want to be here in a couple of weeks for that one, uh, Mister uh, Minky. Is there anything you wish to share with our audience before we sign off for the night? Well, let's see. As you would know if you had been paying attention to the retro reviews that appeared on the site recently, I felt it necessary for reasons that even I find difficult to express well to play the trio of Dragon Ball Z action RPGs on the Game Boy Advance recently. The first one is widely regarded as crap. I will continue to regard it as crap, just like everyone else does, because it is crap. The second one is better, but that does not make it good. That makes it bad without being quite as bad as the first. And the third one, mostly because it tones down the difficulty quite a bit, is, well, at least I had some fun with it. And someday I will schedule an entire show on Dragon Ball Z RPGs, and we can go into this in considerably greater depth because, well... It's a natch for an RPG, a, a show about people who just keep getting stronger to fight ever more powerful enemies. And I'll just mention a few of the movies I've seen, because as we all know, if I go through all of them, that takes a while. Which well, tends to like happen that. when you drink really old, old wine. Just for that, Phil, I'm going to look around and find some more wine next time. Please no. <laughs> I will say that if you like your riff tracks, you should go get Frankenstein Island, wherein you will see that Jerry Warren learned absolutely nothing in the 15 years after the wild world of Batwoman. And you will get to see what looks to be about two minutes of John Carradine in a garage somewhere chanting, The power, the power, the power, many times. And just this morning, I watched M, which I can guarantee is not going to be remade anytime soon because movies in which a child killer is the main character tend not to hit hard with the masses. Ugh. But yeah, this... enough. They have a TV show on Bio called Child Killers. It gives me the willies. Well, this movie is eighty-one years old now. And it's, doesn't matter. Willies. It, it's not really about him so much, though. It's about the, the public hunt for him and how it leads to a mob mentality of people willing to do anything necessary, like storm the building where he's hiding and beat down the security guards in order to get at him. It, and since it was made in Germany shortly before it turned Nazi, you can sense obvious parallels with the society of the time. That could be interesting is, and terrifying. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's a comfortable movie, 
Because obviously, when you've got a child killer, it's not going to be happy. And... Oh, yes, last summer. I'll mention this because, well, you'll have to dig up a, an old VHS to actually watch it. It's never come out on DVD. But its final scene is going to stick with me for a long time. Most of the movie just feels like one of those rambling, episodic, kind of plotless 60s movies. And if you've seen one, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. But then you get to the end where one person who's been trying to be a part of the group for a long time is forced to do something that she doesn't particularly feel like. And then that leads to aggression against her, which is not really in keeping it. It's been led to accurately by the rest of the movie, but you wouldn't have been prepared accurately by what you've seen earlier for what happens in that final scene. And it's disturbing. And I'll give a quick shout out to Buffalo Rider also in Rift Tracks because Honestly, with a title like that and the knowledge that it really doesn't have a plot, it's just a bunch of nature footage where you can obviously tell the animals were not monitored by Humane Society or ASPCA, um, they have lots of fodder. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it because it is an, a boldly plotless movie and the Buffalo Rider doesn't even appear for a long time, but it's a good riff tracks. Okay, there I'm done. <laughs> Miss Sam? Um, I haven't really been doing much lately for the site because I was dealing with exams, but now that those are over, I'm getting ready to put up a feature probably within the next two weeks or so. Oh, a great. Couple of... oh. Yeah, that, that thing we did together, sort of. Oh, yes. I can definitely pimp that. Uh, Mike was very fortunate enough to help me out with a mini feature for the game Skyborn, which is a steampunk RPG. Yes, it's RPG Maker, and yes, we can all complain that RPG Maker is not very special, but Mike apparently had a good time with the game. The developer is a wonderful human being who actually composed all the music for the game, um, and from what I've heard, the compositions are lovely. Um, it's definitely one of those games, you know, if you're looking for just something short and quick to play, it sounds like it's actually a little hidden gem. Yeah, hmm. I certainly had fun with it. And... It makes the story the forefront, and it does a good job with it, which is good. Because if Plus, you make the story the forefront and it fails, then you're in for a world of hurt. I, I was just appreciative of the fact that it is a steampunk game, and steampunk, when you see it in RPGs, is almost always just about airships, and it doesn't use all the tropes, and this game looks like it does a little bit, tries a little bit harder to use as many tropes as possible from the genre, and I appreciate definitely for that. Um, I do have a couple reviews in the pipeline. You'll probably see something about Yakuza Dead Souls, which we originally weren't going to cover, and now for some reason we are. Mostly yeah. due to my findings that it actually kept all the RPG elements, oddly enough. Um, even though it's a zombie shooter, and it's a bad zombie shooter, but the rest of the game is surprisingly fun, so I'm going to be very forgiving towards that. And you'll definitely see some stuff about Atelier Meruru in the next couple of weeks or so. Um, as which, something... which really should have been called Meryl in, back in Japan, but it's too late to change. Meh, Meruru. It's all... So you'll definitely see something for that. And 
mostly just in terms of games I haven't really been playing that many other than uh, I've been definitely playing some Tales of the Abyss 3DS, um, which I am going to write a second opinion. I'm probably not going to be as nice to it as Alex was. I still think it's a wonderful game, but this is such an unnecessary port, unfortunately. It's one of those ex- situations of, if you've never played the game before, go play it, if this is the only means that you have. If you've played the game before on PS2, there's diddly squat new here. And that's not something to reward. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's kind of what I've been up to. And I've just been reading a lot of books for my job, because my students are crazy. And we're preparing to have a puppy in our house. So I've also been puppy-proofing a lot. Hey, Phil. Hmm. It's kind of retro news that Legend of Dragoon is on the PSN network, right? Yes, and I'm going to go snore now because I hate that game so much. (laughs) (laughs) I've never played it, and I'm certainly certainly not going to. how awkward it is. (laughs) It's really awkward. (laughs) Well, why don't I just watch somebody do a Let's Play for 10 minutes on YouTube and call it good? I guess that could work. It's It was definitely one of those games that I got, and it had potential, and then it would do something stupid, and then have potential again, and then do something really stupid, and then it was like, I don't like this game anymore. I never finished it, so, I mean, you can yell at me and say, well, your opinion's stupid because you didn't finish the game, and that, I'm totally fine with that. I just thought that game How was... How far did you get? I made it to disc and then called it quits because the main female character made me want to put a gun to my head repeatedly because she's that stupid. She's as stupid as Renoa, and that says a lot right there. Uh. Oh, yeah. Shanna is made uh. special. <laughs> also, if he were here, based <laughs> if he was here, I think Mr. Apps would agree with you because... He has hinted that he was not able to get past the first disc of the game. Uh, I, I mean, there are people who have clearly done better than I have. And I mean, it's it's not to predate any sort of bashing. It just, again, it was another case of not my cup of tea. And uh, you know me, I have a problem with really stupid female protagonists. Get the out! Stupider, the stupider, the more I want to kill the game developers. <laughs> So it so, sounds like Sony did a great job of imitating Final Fantasy VIII, not seven, which was their goal, right? Yeah, I would definitely say it's closer to eight than it is seven. But uh, there are people who really like eight. No, there there are people out there who love eight, and that's totally cool. Um, I don't like stupid male main <laughs> characters and stupid main female characters, so you know I'm gonna go spend my time playing games with you know awesome characters. You know, I, I would prefer to waste my time doing something productive. Final Fantasy VIII reminded me that life wasn't productive at the time. Hmm. But we did a whole show on that way back Which when. Which you can go listen to back then and listen to my rant about why the women of Final Fantasy VIII offend me. Because and all I, of them offend me. I pretty much supported you entirely for that. Like I said, I love Keistas. You know, filthy multitasking Keistas, she's great. But she has her own level of stupid that just makes you go, why do you have potential? And then use it to do something stupid. (laughs) In any case, female characters. You want to win my heart? Make a game with a strong female character. Fail to do that? You make me very cranky, and then I won't play your game. 
Which is why Tales of the Abyss is great. (laughs) 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 I got rambling because Scott's not here to tell me to not do that. See? (laughs) Mm. Well, uh, I've already mentioned I've been putting a lot of time into Borderlands. I'm just trying to get cleared off my Steam list. So I can uninstall it after I get done playing it. Um, And... Actually, I think as far as RPGs done, I, I played a little bit of the Legend of what was it, Legend of Grimrock? Gim, Gimrock? Gim, Grimrock. Grimrock. Yeah, that is so freaking old school cool. <laughs> so you create a, a party of four characters. Uh, the the character creation uh, thing is 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 deep enough to where you've got enough choices to make a difference, but not so deep that you have to go uh, to Cornell University to figure it out. And uh, oh boy, it plays pretty much like you know eye of the beholder <laughs> you got you going down the hallway there's a evil's uh, an evil man sucking snail up ahead huge ass snail and uh, you'll run up to him and you got your four you know your four icons for your four characters in the lower right hand corner and you'll click on their attack icons and what's really funny is that the thing is strictly grid based if the snail is like diagonal from you as far as the grid goes, the snail can't attack you. At least not with a melee attack. I haven't run into ranged attackers yet. So the really funny thing is because your attacks take like three to five seconds to recharge on a cooldown, you'll do the attacks and then five foot step, sidestep over to the square next to you. <laughs> the snail can't immediately retaliate because now he has to slug himself over to a square in front of you to do that attack. <laughs> and then you quickly do your decks and move back and forth. It's the it's the grid-based dance, which we used to do all the time back in the old days um, with some of the, the, the grid-based RPGs anyways. And uh, it's just pretty funny just doing that again. It's like, okay, I'm doing the dance. I'm doing the grid-based dance. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's pretty funny. Um, ran into some old-school puzzles. Take the rock, put the rock on the certain tile on the floor so it opens up the gate down the hallway. I'm sure as the game goes on, it becomes a lot more complicated, and I'd be reaching for a fact. Uh, I, I don't think this is one of those uh, games you want to get into if you don't have patience. Um, because there are, I'm sure the puzzles get pretty insane down the road. Um, and from one of the uh, reviews I read, uh, the comments can get pretty, pretty darn old school tough on you too. So definitely for old people who miss the old Eye Beholder games, tough dungeon crawlers. There's even an option when you start up the game to do it old school style where uh, where the computer does it, where, where you don't get an auto map. <laughs> so that's for you people out there who still have graph paper somewhere in your house and want to draw, you know, draw your whole map out on grid paper. God bless you. I'm not one of those people. So, uh, but uh, a pretty cool game. And uh, we talked about last time about uh, Shadowrun and Wasteland 2 which have both far exceeded their original goals. So I got the email on, I think, Shadowrun, that they've uh, that theirs is Kickstarter is officially done, and they're going into production, and they're, uh, they're going to do a couple of extra things they weren't originally planning because, the fact, uh, the, the, because of the fact that people uh, donated much more than they had originally set the goal for. So you can still check out those uh, Game Starter uh, pages, and they've all started pre-ordering. If you paid enough in Kickstarter, I think it's $15, you're going to get a copy of the game. But if you haven't done that and you, you like old school 
party-based, tactical, Western-style RPGs. Uh, they're going to have a pre-order up for that, but it's going to be about 12 months production, they said. So I'll keep, uh, I'll keep my eyes open in that and keep everybody uh, informed of those uh, uh, what goes on with that. And, of course, the most important thing that I found this week was on uh, GOG, Theme Hospital is now available. Not oh, an RPG, but a really funny, you know, Sim Sim Sims type of game. I remember that game. Awesome, isn't it? It's ridiculous. It is so freaking cute. I'm tempted to buy it just so I can play it without the disc because I still have the disc. Um, and yeah, and uh, let's see. As far as you know, RPG news on GOG is concerned, they released uh, Dark Zone. That's a uh, an action fantasy RPG. Uh, that went under a lot of people's radar. I did not play it myself. I can tell you that looking at the screenshots and reading the text, it looks very much uh, like a, a Diablo. The graphics uh, harken back to probably uh, PlayStation 1, <laughs> uh, maybe 1.5. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, you know, I see a lot of people putting it in the same vein as like a torchlight. So you might want to check that out. Um, it has got an average of four and a half stars out of five from 119 users, so that's that's pretty decent. And that'll run on Windows XP Vista or Windows 7. Uh, so uh, you can check that out on GOG. It's going for about six bucks. And uh, I don't remember reading any other retro news or other than oh yes, for those of you who are wondering. Baldur's Gate, the HD remake, is not coming to Wii and Wii U. I, I don't know why that was a story. I saw it on IGN this week. I'm like, what? Who cares? It's a PC game. Uh, you know, they'll probably bring to the iPad. Cause what, was it also not coming to PS3 and 360? That's what I'm saying. What about the PS3 news? What, what about what, that? What about 3DS or Vita? You know, I'm wondering about the Sega Center myself. I'm waiting for the Sega Center release. I mean, come on, people. <laughs> really? Seriously? This is the best we have to do? Uh, I'm waiting for the Atari Lynx release. Yeah. <sighs> I, 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 yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Witcher Enhanced Edition, the original Witcher is 50% off, the, I think, this week on GOG. Um, so it's like five bucks. Definitely well worth it. We've talked about The Witcher numerous times. Absolutely worth getting. The Witcher 2 Enhanced Edition is out. That's not really retro news, but it does tie in with the first one. Uh, so both of those are really, really uh, good RPGs that, uh, that you can check out. But... All right, well, I think that's all of the news and all that other fun stuff, so now I just got to get to the legalese. RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer. Your RP Gamer, <laughs> one of those websites. Uh, your source for <laughs> RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Make sure to write your questions and comments on our boards. And, and speaking of, we did a we did a skit and occasionally I get a comment that the skit doesn't make sense that the skit had they don't know what in the hell it has to do with the game so I tell you what the first person who goes to our boards and post correctly what the skit had to do uh, with the games that we talked about today uh, I will send them a twenty dollar Amazon gift certificate there done so I like this idea though. I, I, I I it's it, you know what. It, it's all because of you, Sam. You, you inspired me. Um, 
Write your questions okay. and comments on our boards or email gcservant at rpgamer.com. I don't even know if that email works. Somebody write me an email, please, and help shape our future shows. Don't forget to follow us at twitter.com slash rpgamer. Become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. And as always, listen to our previous podcast as well as RPGcast all at rpgamer.com. On the behalf of Mike, Sam, myself, we thank you for listening. You're always the reason that we do this. Go and rate us on iTunes. Tell us we're awesome because we live for that. Mr. Mike, put us to bed. Well, hmm. Gosh, what can I say? We just talked about a game where New York had the Rolling Stones insignia long before the Stones even existed. Um, you know, I'll just leave you on that thought, that the Rolling Stones in this alternate universe got the idea for their logo from the Little Lip Theater in New York. And I'm not even going to try and make sense of that. You have to do it. See ya. Hello, everyone. This is Cassandra or Strawberry Eggs, whichever you're more comfortable with. Sadly, I could not make it to the podcast last time, which is a shame because I adore Magical Star Sign. Everyone on the episode mostly said what I would have, and I already pointed out the disturbing scenes in Mike Minky's review. So instead, I'll talk a bit about the wackiest race in the game, the Pyrites. What are pyrites? They are little metallic, or at least I think they're made of metal, cube creatures that live in the back of the last stone giant of Aird, a fellow by the name of Tektos. They have names like Wachu, Staranat, Wasa, Matawidja, Shunna, Dunnit, How's About a, Kick in the Pants, I'm a Full of Beans, Taint Too Smart, and Guy Who Says What Up. They also say some crazy and random stuff, but when you first encounter them, they speak complete gibberish. They also want you to take them with you, and won't mind at all if you sell them. And yes, they're worth a good amount of beer if you do sell them. I'm still not entirely sure what's to make of the Pyrites, but they're so wacky I'm not likely to forget them.
I'm not afraid.